and gentlemen, we welcome you to episode number 67 of the Primetime Rundown right here on the Eastern Observer. Our show is presented to you by Black Cats NYC, alongside my guys Ian Schreier, Rob DeLuca, and Casey Bryant. I'm Joey Jarzinka. Cannot thank you all enough for joining us here on our final Monday show of the summer series. Guys, the summer is, is over. I can't believe we're saying this. It's really happening. Ian Schreier, good to see you, sir. How are things on your side of the island? Uh, you know, just about the same. I'm uh, hoping uh, this uh, tropical storm that's working its way south misses us. Doesn't look like that's going to happen over the next couple of days. But let's try to keep things positive, unlike the Mets. <laughs> Rob DeLuca, that, I don't know if you can top that. How was your Two week? Thumbs up, baby. Two you, thumbs sir. up. Uh, you know, week, week, was, week was good. I mean, it's it, you know, same old, same old. The Yankees won a few, lost a few. The winning streak's finally over. It's very unfortunate, but yeah, just had a little bit of a thunderstorm this afternoon. It's it passed. It was it was a wild one though. But but now we're ready to give these wonderful people a wild show. Well, speaking of a wild show, we've got one of our most wildest guests on here, and oh, Casey Bryant. Casey, welcome to the show once again, sir. And I see that you got the memo about wearing white here today. Fantastic job. You know, thank you very much. I, I pride myself on my appearance. So, you know, coming up with a white polo shirt, I'll be at one for my employer, the Vermilion County Bobcats. Follow at VC Bobcats uh, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You know, that, that was a uh, – I wanted to be able to fit in with all y'all. But then I thought, you know, I want to be able to, like Ian said, keep it positive. You know, I, I live in Illinois. I wanted to kind of keep things regional and keep things lighthearted. So what I did is I went to Wrigleyville, a world <laughs> where no one ever boos anyone, and everyone is hunky-dory. You walk in, it doesn't matter if you're Owen 162. You walk in, you're Norm from Cheers, where everybody knows your name. So <laughs> that's how I'm doing. Uh, let's get the show on the road. Ladies and gentlemen, our show here is presented to you by Black Cats NYC. Make sure you download their newest album called Free Cake, which is out now. Play loud on Apple Music, Deezer, YouTube, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, YouTube Music, Pandora, and Spotify. Also, ladies and gentlemen, please do not forget to subscribe to our show, which can be heard right now on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and of course, if you are listening to our show, be sure to tune in and to see the uh, the video version on YouTube by searching I-95 Sports Network on YouTube. Ladies and gentlemen, let us get things underway here in our final Monday edition of the Primetime Rundown in our summer series. Uh, I want to talk about what Ian Schreier brought up to, to open up this, uh, this, this podcast here. And uh, the New York Mets, I mean, there's, there's a video that we have to play because, but we have to give a little bit of background, of course, first. Uh, the New York Mets are an absolute dumpster fire lately, and Javier Baez took uh, he took a little offense to the uh, to the fans booing him, and Francisco Lindor might be uh, to blame there as well. Javier Baez might be there to blame, but there's also some talk now that Javier Baez may have shot himself in the foot in terms of his upcoming free agency. Let's take a peek here at the video that uh, you know he talks about the thumbs down celebration. Really good, really good at bats. Um, you know, that's that's how I look at the team when I got here. You know, a winning team, and and you know, all the guys stay together most of the time, and and 
you know, on the on the on the losing streak, we didn't change anything. We were we were the same in the clubhouse, and we were just trying. We were just trying too much. What does the thumbs down celebration after a big hit mean? Just the booze that we get. You know, we like we're not we're not machines. We're gonna struggle. You know, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna struggle seven times out of out, out of ten. And and you know, it just it just feels bad when 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 we strike out. When I strike out and I get booed. You know, it doesn't really get to me, but like I want, I want to let them know that when we success, we're gonna do the same thing to to know how to to let them know how how it feels. You know, because if we win together, then we we gotta lose together. You know, and 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 the fans are really big part of it. So, um, in my case, they they gotta be better. You know, I I play for the fans and I love the fans, but you know if if they're gonna do that, they they just putting more pressures on the team, and and that's not that's not what we want. It was it was my opinion, you know, and and it's just how I feel, you know. Like like I say, I, I love the fans and I, I like I, I like playing for the fans, but we can't have our fans against us. Like I said, the booze doesn't bother me. It, it kind of makes me compare compete more. I mean, I go out there pitch by pitch and compete. Doesn't like I have a plan, but you know the other team have a plan too. We gotta play against that. And so uh, I, I want to stop there, and the reason why is because this is actually this, the, the second time I'm watching this post-game press conference here and seeing what Javier Baez says, and my initial take on it before we get to the, to the two Mets fans here in the room is, is that, number one, Javier Baez does not have what it takes to play in New York, number one. Number two, it also has uh, a little bit of contradiction towards the end where he claims that it puts some pressure on us, but then he claims that it doesn't bother him. So which one is it, Ian Schreier? Is Javier Baez too soft for Queens, or is he too soft just in general? Well, what I love is uh, are the people on Twitter right now who are saying, or at least those that are in Casey Bryant's neck of the woods in Illinois, or at least in the North Chicago area who are like, oh, you know, you guys don't deserve Javi Baez. And uh, they just have this whole one-sided approach to Javi Baez as being a member of that hex-breaking 2016 World Series championship team um, and not, you know, the player that strikes out at an egregious rate in the way Javi Baez does. Um, Either he doesn't – look, does anyone want to get booed? No, but I think – welcome to New York. This is what it's like playing in New York. You mean to tell me through all the years that the Cubs didn't win championships or weren't qual- or weren't making the playoffs. You think Cubs fans are just, who are probably just as loyal, if not more loyal, maybe than Mets fans, um, you know, to a, to a team that hadn't won until 2016, a, a championship since 1908, um, didn't boo their, didn't boo their players off the field. One thing, and, and I've been re- and I've been all over Twitter for like the past 24 hours trying to get reactions. I thought Piazza, Mike Piazza had a great reaction saying, listen, listen, if you guys are going to go out there and you're going to dog it, you, the fans are going to let you know about it. Even he said, you know, he had experiences, um, you know, in his time playing for the Mets. And you're talking about Mike Piazza, a franchise player. His number's retired. Um, no one will ever wear 31 in a Mets uniform ever again. And even he's saying there were points where I thought I wanted to leave New York, but I know that I wanted to see that through. And I know that when you make it in New York, you've made it everywhere. Paul Duca, another, you know, the cat, you know, who gained a lot, a lot of his fame with the Mets in 2006 and their run to the National League Championship Series to Game 7 said along the lines of the same things like where is the thick skin and now it's it it, it, it and it, Javi Baez might have started it but also the Mets 341 million dollar man is, is is just teaming up with his best friend and telling him it's okay I'm going to join you on this thumbs down because they don't it, it's kind of the people who say 
you know, you didn't, you didn't, um, you weren't starving with us when we were, when we were dying of hunger. Don't expect to, when, when we're being fed like Kings to come join us at the table all of a sudden. Well, this is the way Met fans are. This is the way New York fans are. You come here to win. Met fans came in with the expectation under Steve Cohen that this, that things this year were going to be different. And I know that his window was three to five years. And I know this was year one, but you were also in first place for a hundred days, had the opportunity to step on the division's neck in June. And then when you, when you fail to show up and become and score the second fewest runs of any team in major league baseball, I'm not so sure what, you know, just the fact they were in first place and fans were hoping were had some sort of optimism that maybe this week or this day would be the day they turn around or this day would be the day they turn around. The Mets never turned it around. And the second that they got dropped out of first place and got humiliated by the Dodgers and Giants, yeah, this was this was destined to come because this team could not hit. And Javi Baez is part of that. And Pete Alonso is part of it. Like, I'm sick and tired of hearing Pete Alonso say, oh, you know, we're, we're, just, we're, we're just a couple of hits away. I know the talent is here. We're, we're, we're going we're gonna to have one week, and we're just going to spew it off, and we're going to end up – we're still going to win that National League East. I don't know where they're coming from with this or where this is coming from, but this is just – you know, it, it, the train wreck just continues for the Mets. It's, it's you know, e- ever since Steve Cohen has taken over, it started with Jared Porter, and it's filtered down. And I know the injuries haven't helped them, but this is just – I mean, you're talking about two guys that you thought coming into season. Lindor's already locked up for 10 years. You thought they were going to lock up Bias at the end of the year to solidify that middle infield. That appears that's probably not going to happen now. Um, this is a this is a huge, huge linchpin moment um, already in Steve Cohen's tenure as owner of the New York Mets. And he and not only I mean. I, I mean, I have a whole another point I could get go on about Sandy Alderson's reaction in not getting in front of the media and just putting out a. A, a disclaimer of saying we, you know, we don't tolerate that kind of reaction, or we don't tolerate what these are doing to the fans. And then Steve Cohen also saying we don't tolerate. Well, Steve Cohen needs to get in front of the media. Steve Cohen need to, at least at the end of the season, needs to get in front of this and 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 tell his fan base where he's taking this team next year because they, they were in first place for 100 days, but we're seeing exact we're, we're we're seeing the Mets fall back into their old ways, and he needs to turn the ship right away. And not only that, too, Ian, something that I want to bring up, too, is is that the big thing here with Francisco Lindor, and you brought it up and you hit the nail on the head when you said that he signed for an additional 10 more years. Yeah. Uh, that's a big deal, especially when he's getting on his best friend's bandwagon now only into year number one of this contract. Uh, yeah. Or not even or not even year number one. That that, that actually year number one. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it, it starts next year. So. That, to me, is the biggest thing where if he can't handle them now, when is he going to be able to handle these fans? Uh, you know, is it year five of this contract? Is it year seven? Is it well, never? Listen to, well, here's the difference between Lindor and Baez um, is the fact that Lindor has at least taken accountability. Lindor has come out and said, yes, I've gotten hurt, but I know I have not produced to what I have been expected to the day that I came here. He is at least owning up to it and taking accountability. This thumbs down stuff is not helping. The, the one thing that that, that, they, that that could have been done to avoid all this is, is had said something along the lines of just like how they approached the whole uh, Conforto and uh, Dom issue. Um, was oh this is it was an inside joke um, you know we, this is just something that we do in the clubhouse and no one one would have thought otherwise Javi Baez came out and put it on the table and basically just called out the Met fans you don't do that in New York Baez hasn't taken any accountability Lindor has so I guess if you want to you know you want to sit there and get upset at Lindor sure I think we should to a certain extent because he's going to be the face of the franchise for, franchise for the next ten years but at least he's taken accountability Baez in his two months has not. <laughs> 
Yeah, it, it's it's not a good look. And Casey Bryant, you as a uh, as a lifelong Mets fan, uh, to see your trade deadline acquisition, um, really your marquee acquisition at the deadline that really did not move the needle whatsoever. Um, you know, down this down this second half stretch of the season. What do you see here with this uh, with this Javier Baez antics and with Kevin Pillar, with uh, Francisco Lindor, and even that disclaimer that Ian brought up that president and general manager uh, in Sandy Alderson put out just a couple of days ago? You know, it's funny. This was always kind of lurking in the distance back in April when they were assembling this team. Because what the New York Mets happened to do, by happenstance and by coincidence, is they assembled the most online team in MLB history. Trevor May is a routine Twitch streamer. He interacts with fans regularly. Marcus Stroman, within 10 minutes of coming off the mound, retweets personal highlights and stuff. And that's cool. You can you can use Twitter however you want. Uh, he interacts with fans a bunch. Kevin Pillar, Tomas Nito, Pete Alonso. A lot of them are always online and interacting with fan base. The owner interacts with fans on a regular basis. So you always kind of thought in the back of your head, well, if they win and they're interacting with fans and stuff, that's really, really cool. If they lose, this city is going to eat them alive. And, and you know, if you ever want to have a good laugh, search on Twitter, Trevor May, Fortnite boy, and you're going to have a real good time. Uh, because people are very uh, like unfairly call him out for that. Because, like, he's allowed to street Fortnite. Who cares? That's a whole other issue. This whole issue is a very peculiar one in my eye. Because you could sit here and for two hours, for the duration of your show, have a very civil, nuanced, back-and-forth debate of people who believe that they are right to express their frustration at the New York Metropolitans in the year of our Lord 2021. And people who believe that these players are not necessarily deserving of your criticism, they deserve your support. People who believe that you should always be trying to spur your own team on to victory. You could have a very lengthy and very engaging debate with ample evidence on both sides, and you'd come to the understanding after those two hours that really neither side is in the wrong. There, you have mountains of evidence on either side. You would be able to have a very placid discussion. You would perhaps learn a new perspective, and you would come away with it thinking, this whole thing is so GD dumb. This is so pathetic that this is an issue. That, because the only thing worse than having to have this conversation is the conversation itself. Because now, all we're going to have to do for the last month of this season is listen to, well, who's booing? Who's getting booed? Does this person deserve to get booed? How did this person react to getting booed? Do you remember when Ghostbusters came out in 2016 with Melissa McCarthy and everyone turned the discussion into whether or not it was sexist to criticize this movie, when at the end of the day, no one stopped to think about whether this movie was even worth defending in the first place. It was a bad movie. This is a bad baseball team. Who cares? This Nothing matters. This game doesn't matter. This sport doesn't matter. Your life doesn't matter. Eat at Arby's. Nothing matters in this world. So... Here we are having this conversation as to whether or not people react to get booed. And you know what? On the one hand, if you want to really 
Go, spend $120 on your Thursday night and go sit at City Field and lob booze at, at your star shortstop because he grounded into uh, into the shift for the fourth time that night. You know what? Have at it. You have that freedom. You have that right. Who cares? But you should still cheer for him the next time that he comes up. A fun fact, in 2008, Carlos Delgado was getting booed really, really badly in April oh, yeah. because the Mets had just come off losing in the NLCS in 06 and collapsing down the stretch in 2007. And Carlos Delgado, through the month of April, was hitting 169 for the first month of the season. He was getting booed pretty hard because he was one of the stars of this team and he was hearing it from Mets fans. Then one day at the end of April, he hits two home runs at Shea Stadium. The place is going nuts. They're actually imploring him to come out for a curtain call and he decides he's not going to do it because in his post-game press conference, he was a little frustrated that these same fans were booing him. And he goes, you know what? I'm not out of the woods yet. It was one game and I just didn't feel it was the right time. I've taken two curtain calls in my life. I didn't feel it was the right time. We have to get better before I start taking victory laps. And it was at the same time expressing frustration at the fan base, sending a message while taking, as Ian said, accountability and understanding that there is a bigger picture at stake. So that's your historical context. Your other historical context could be that this franchise has been effing the dog since 1986 and finding new ways new spectacular ways to mess up. And every single player that they have brought in to try to fix that problem has gone down in flames. Yoenna Cespedes fell in a hole pursued by a wild boar. So you know what? If you want to have a drink out in center field and just be mad at the system, that is fine. You have that right. And at the same time, you have the right to be mad at someone for coming into your job and booing you. That's fine. You know what? Again, both sides are correct here, but you both look like such babies in doing so. And even Javi Baez, in trying to make this statement of why they're all angry and why they're trying to poke some fun at their fan base, contradicts himself to the very point of he acknowledges, one, that you know, you'll know you fail seven times out of ten. In Lindor's case, it's eight times out of ten, but I'm sure. Uh, I mean, and in the other case... You have to think about the fact that he actually says towards the end, you know what? Booing doesn't bother me. So bothered that he had to make a celebration about it. That's how little it bothered him. Uh, and he says that it makes him compete harder. So basically, he's feeding in to the very reason why these warriors in the stands feel like they have to boo to inspire better performance. He's giving them exactly what they want. This whole issue is so stupid, carried out by the stupidest fans who feel the need to boo their own team and the stupidest players who all are ca cashing their $30 million paychecks and can't handle it when things go wrong. Everyone's in the wrong. Everyone's in the right. This whole season is a catastrophe. It's all <laughs> awful. And again, one last thing, because I understand I'm going on long. I understand. No, well, that is completely okay. And just before yeah. and just before I uh, I let you continue, ladies and gentlemen, we are now at the segment of what really grinds Casey, Casey <laughs> Bryant's gears. Let us continue, Casey Bryant. Finish your thought. Look, here's the other thing. There are many things. There are many things. I could keep going. There are many different reasons why this whole thing is an issue. But the one that I always go back to is bad faith criticism, you know, on either side. If you're a player and you want to protest your own fans, it's going to be taken in bad faith because ordinarily a protest is meant to be those in power. If you're going to be protesting someone who is really on far lower on the totem pole in life and just in the grand sports scheme, 
if you're going to go after your own fans, that is targeting someone who is not in a position of power. So it looks like you're taking pot shots at your own fan base. If Steve Cohen had come out and said, you know, it, the, these fans deserve, these players deserve to get booed. They deserve that all this, you know, and like Steve Cohen did make a critical tweet and he said, professional hitters shouldn't be that way. So if they were protesting that, Fans would probably get behind that. Think of how the previous ownership was vilified. If they wanted to take a stand against someone in power, everyone would get behind it. But since they targeted their fan base, the customer, if you choose to see it that way, imagine if you got served a bad burger from McDonald's, right? And you go to the McDonald's and you complain and you say, my burger is, is purple. This doesn't make any sense. Why is my burger purple? And McDonald's, the CEO comes down and looks you in the eye and says, you know what? Maybe the problem isn't the fry cook. Maybe the problem is that you're not appreciative of what the fry cook is doing for you. Maybe if you were a little more positive, your burger would actually be the correct color. And you're <laughs> going, what is this? I paid $2 for this burger. I would like it to not be purple. And what we're getting is a team full of 25 purple burgers. <laughs> and on the fan side of things, <laughs> on the flip side of this coin, you have a, a whole litany of people that are booing and booing fans uh, after, uh, after, you know, Michael Conforto goes 0 for 4 again. If you're going to boo him at City Field, you're not representative of the whole fan base. And I, one should hope that the team would understand that. Most people are supportive of this team and want them to succeed. Okay. That's understandable. And players should know that, although it does, it's, it's very hard to accept that at times. I understand. The criticism of these players, like, if you're going to make a point, rather than just like, if you're going to go out to a ball game and for the first time in two years, Francisco Lindor goes 0 for 4 and you feel like booing, you're not terribly bright. That's the bottom line. If you want to make a more informed criticism of, hey, Francisco Lindor seems to be rolling over on outside changes a little bit. He's grounding into the shifts a little bit more. Come at it from a baseball perspective. Listen to Keith Hernandez talk for 30 seconds, and you'll find a scientific way of why Francisco Lindor is struggling and how he can fix it. And Lindor then could accept that criticism and you know from, from media, from his coaches, from, from broadcasters, and, and learn from that. Francisco Lindor's problem is, is waving at outside pitches and chasing bad pitches. Javier Baez's problem is swinging at pitches in the opposing batter's box like he did last night. Michael Conforto's problem is that he all of a sudden can't hit a breaking pitch like he's Pedro Serrano in Major League. <laughs> Michael Conforto's problem is not Joe from Ronkakuma sitting in Section 413 who's been nursing a Michelob Ultra since the fourth inning, which cost him $18.50 plus tax. His problem is not the fact that Joe from Ronkonkoma said boo for 20 seconds after he struck out. So now let me ask you this. Now, now. <laughs> Casey has left the building. That's it. Now Casey is gone. But the big thing here now is, is that I got to ask you this, Casey. And when we saw that tweet from, uh, from your owner, from the Mets owner, Steve Cohen, come out and basically criticize the entire clubhouse and basically try or attempt to light some fire up the players' butts, right? Um, for you as a fan and for, as you brought up earlier, a, a, a bright baseball fan who knows the game, who understands it, um, you know, and not just your general fan, do you see that, you know, just from that start, and him really being on Twitter began to, you know, the dominoes began to fall from that tweet onward. I don't think necessarily. If anything, Steve Cohen has activated the Mets fan base in a way that no other owner in sports has. 
And, but the problem is that when you do that, you bring out this caliber of fan because you have now amplified their voices. You are now acknowledging that they exist and giving rise to the issues that they will will say. So you but can should you get out and excuse me one second. Do you need to get out though into the public eye on camera and try and say what you've said? I don't necessarily think so because then what you get is is George Steinbrenner and try, trying to make the story about himself. And people forget how hated George Steinbrenner was until the Yankees finally won in the 1990s. George Steinbrenner got banned from baseball twice. Nobody remembers that, though, because he was the boss, and he won four World Series in a row with Derek Jeter. No one cares. If you win, everything else goes away. Mike Piazza stopped getting booed because he led the Mets to the World Series in 2000, and he put up MVP caliber numbers. He stopped getting booed. Carlos Delgado stopped getting booed because he hit 38 home runs in 2008. Things go away if you just perform well. And the bottom line is that Francisco Lindor, would, if he focused more on being able to hit outside pitches from the left side of the batter's box, as opposed to what fan, how fans have been treating him since April, fairly or unfairly, it's, it's a different position that everyone should be in. But again, at the end of the day, life is meaningless and needed Arby's. So, so I, I agree with, and I know we got to get to DeLuca. I mean, I, I agree with with Casey's with Casey's point about with with, with the. This is um, this is the performance of Rob's lifetime, by the way. This is the best you've <laughs> ever sounded. Continue. Okay. <laughs> um, I agree with Casey to a point about saying uh, I, I think Steinbrenner is a perfect analogy because that's exactly what, how I was going to come at it as well. But I think it comes down to a point of, and and, and I think w- with respect to social media, we take we take we don't set, sometimes take things as they are. We always because of text messaging and because of social media, we misread things, we misinterpret things. Um, we don't take things as, the, as they're meant to be. And I think that's why, in my opinion, unlike Casey's point, I think it's a little important to actually get in front of it just because I think from it, it goes back to what Casey, it, it, the same word that Casey and I have both used. It's accountability. And I think, it, and I like the fact that, that um, Steve Cohen has made the Mets have, have have basically given the Mets fan a seat at the table in a way. Should they? No, probably not. But I think through the years and years of frustration, Steve Cohen included as being a growing up a fan and just dealing with the aggravation that is being a Mets fan for so long. Um, I think him getting out in front of this, I think to a certain extent, I don't know if it vilifies him in the same way Steinbrenner like firing Billy Martin on a press conference would. I, I'm not looking for him to, to pull Sandy Alderson out in front of 30 cameras and tell Sandy Alderson in a Vince McMahon style, you're fired. You know, I'm not looking for that. But I'm just looking from a standpoint of what the Wilpons didn't do that Cohen should do. That Cohen needs Steve Cohen needs to get in front of it. Steve Cohen, there's just been too much too too much of a whirlwind going on with this club this year. Jared Porter, um, the 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 Dom Smith Michael Conforto issue. What, what happened between Lindor and McNeil? Who knows? You know what I'm saying? Like it, it, it's things like that that have added up over the course of the season. The inactivity supposedly because of finances. And, um, and, and that's why people have a right to boo. Yes, because yes. they stood pat at the deadline when Jacob deGrom got shut down. Your general manager was was was. was Sending because of money that that we, that we don't have supposedly. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like there there are plenty of reasons to boo. You could boo that just the system if you stand there and boo to the heavens because the New York Mets have been absolutely horrible for the last uh, just on, in, in this season, the last five seasons. You know, they've been up and down, up and down on this torturous roller coaster ride for the last twenty five years. You'd be more than uh, go do it. It's fine. No I'm, one. And I'm not saying I'm one going going to City Field to boo. I just think for Steve Cohen's sake come October 4th, 
that this guy just needs to get in front of it. And, it, and I'm not saying he's going to address everything piece by piece. And I'm going to and I'm going to let the Luca take it from here. Um, is um, that he just needs to get out in front and and address where do things stand with with the luxury tax? Like like you're going to let Sandy Alderson make that decision now based on where you've seen this team go, or are you going to get out in front of it and actually act like the boss and the billion dollar man that you are? And I think that's what Met fans want to see. The Luca. <laughs> How you doing, Robbie? <laughs> <laughs> I met him at a Mechian this year, by the way. But, oh, uh, that's phenomenal. All right. So let's see. Um, let's see. Where should I pick this up from from what what could only be described as both a Casey Bryant and Ian Schreier special of what really grinds my gears? And I would have to say that I spoke with Casey, I believe it was last night. Yep. After I had gotten him on the show, and I'll ask I'll ask you the same question, Ian. Well, I asked Casey in terms of the bracket of the most Mets things to ever happen. Does the new era gone wrong, like the whole new hope gone wrong, may top the whole list? And Casey responded to me with. That's not even top 10, my man. And no. I'm just like, so like, if this is how you guys are ranting for something that's not even top 10, I would love to see how you well, guys rant about something. May I? May I? May I? Go ahead, Casey. Go ahead. Go ahead. The, the, why I'm angry is the fact that we even have to have this discussion. I let, I let off the very rant by saying that I hate that this is now what we're going to talk about. Because nothing, and I do mean nothing, makes a crowd boo more than asking them not to boo. Here's a true story. My brother went to a, uh, to a New York Jets game uh, against the Houston Texans in 2012. Uh, at this point, we're a, a few weeks removed from the butt fumble. It's a, it's going to happen in the very near future. In this particular game, the Jets are down like 17-3 at halftime. J.J. Watt has swatted like five of Mark Sanchez's passes. And for like the sixth week in a row, Mark Sanchez is getting booed out of the building. At halftime, they decide to honor Mark Gastineau. Jets legend, five-time Pro Bowler, Ring of Honor member, Mark. Oh, you Gaston. mean the same? You seen the same Mark Gaston that cost them the Super Bowl in '86? Yes, that, that irrelevant, 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 <laughs> irrelevant. Mark Gaston is is sitting there, and he gets up and, and he says, "You know what, guys? Mark's trying. This team needs your support." This team needs your positivity. We're never going to come back if you're just going to boo all night. He says something to that effect. Granted, he, he sounded very drunk when he said all of this, so that didn't help his case. But that was the general spirit of what he said. Mark Gastineau got booed off the podium for even mentioning that fans should be, change their behavior. So nothing is going to change by bringing it up and talking about it. That's my ultimate point. Nothing matters. He's got a point there. And, yeah, I'll, I'll just say it. This – this Mets team is uh, feeble. They're very bad. They are, they are just they're going the wrong direction after what looked like a new hope. The new hope has gone wrong. And Ian, if it's not even top ten to Casey, is this is this a top ten Met, most Mets moment of all time for you? No, you've been around. You've not. been around no. longer, so no. I'd have to imagine you've got more. No, it's just it's just the most Mets moment of 2021, and there's always one of them a year. Um, but I think if you put yourself in our shoes as Met fans, Deluca, and I think I'm kind of the counterpoint to Casey, where Casey's taking one side and I'm kind of taking the other here, um, is that when 
you see that an owner comes in and he's built willing to spend billions of dollars, exceed the luxury tax. All, all you heard in the offseason were, were all things Met fans have been hoping to hear for third for for 20 years. Let's let's call it what it is. OK, um, this, you know, the, the luxury tax is not a line of demarcation. Um, we have no problem blowing right past it. We went out there. We tried to sign George Springer to a humong- an immense amount of money. We tried to sign Trevor Bauer. Thankfully, that didn't go, um, you know, to an immense amount of money. Um, you know, and now we're going to sit here and play hindsight that, you know, JT Real Muto and George Springer, they should have just blown past the luxury tax and paid them both whatever they wanted. And this team would probably have won the division already. Um, however, how, however, um, put yourself in our, in our shoes and you hear all these great things and you, you, you know what you've seen from the, the Wilpons the last two decades. And to see this happen with the Mets under new ownership, um, and, and, and ownership that's not afraid to spend money all of a sudden become, oh, we don't have the money to spend at the deadline to pony up. They didn't want to go get – they didn't want to trade. They they, they they literally took on almost $0 of Javi Baez's money. I don't know if people realize that, but they took on $0 of Javi Baez's yeah, money. But it's not only that, Ian, and I want to interject here because that was something else that they brought up and they said multiple times. Brett Beatty is off the table. Francisco yep. Alvarez is off the table. And as well, they should be. I mean, that's, what traded, that's they also what Chicago, that's what Chicago wanted for Chris Bryant. They still traded a top five prospect away for, for Javi Baez. Granted, granted. Okay. Um, but they had Josh Donaldson and Kenta Maeda in the wings. Did I want Josh Donaldson? No, I did not. I, I mean, the guy's over the hill, but is he better than anything that the Mets are running out there right now in the starting lineup? Yeah, probably. And this team also had a huge starting pitching problem that both of those could have addressed. And the and the and the thought and every report coming back from Ken Rosenthal, from from Jason Stark, from every other possible MLB reporter was they didn't tra- they didn't trade for them because they didn't want to take on more money. So so that's where this all goes back to. I don't I don't want to say the 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 great hope is gone. It's year one of the great hope. I, I mean, I think we all as Met fans need to settle down and we always blow things out of proportion because we're Met fans. But I think at the same time, no, this isn't a top 10 Mets moment of all time. I would say the biggest mo- Met moment of all time is Tony Bernard ripping off his shirt in the club. That's a good one. Isn't that right? Isn't that? That's a real guy. This one is like up there with Omar Minaya saying Adam Rubin has lobby for front office position. Yeah. This has that kind of vibe to it. Uh, yeah. You know, there, there's one other reason why I think this whole debate is pointless. Uh, and it's not that you start doing this. And again, this is why I detest it. We've spent now almost 40 minutes talking about something that will not move the meter whatsoever. If you players are going to ask fans not to boo, and fans are going to continue to boo, and and players are going to continue to feel bad about getting booed, and that's kind of the circle of life. We're all living under the sun, happy happy as can be. Here's another reason why it's pointless, though. Your crosstown rivals get booed constantly. People forget the same people that are laughing and going LOL Mets right now. Rob DeLuca's sitting there all comfy. He's enjoying this whole thing. He's going, is this a top 10 Mets moment right now? <laughs> Let me tell you something about Yankee fans, okay? Yankee fans, boo Giancarlo Stanton if he strikes out more than once 
in a game. Giancarlo Stanton has been treated like dirt since he got to New York, and he is has never been less than awesome for that team. He swatted six home runs in the postseason last year for you ungrateful turds. And a lot of you have tweets that you better go back and comb. You better go back and delete it because let me tell you something. When y'all were booing the New York Yankees and you were crying that Aaron Judge needs to be traded and he's too injury prone, Giancarlo Stanton, we need to get rid of him. Aaron Boone needs to be fired. Brian Cashman needs to be fired. Hal Steinbrenner, he sits there and he goes, oh, everything's going to be fine. He's being overly positive. He needs to sell the team. He's nothing like daddy was. All of y'all got to delete those tweets right quick because y'all are so much worse than we are, but you win, so no one cares. And you know what? I'm sick of this. I'm sick of this. <laughs> I'm telling you right now. Now, hold on a second. I that, hate that people. Midwest who... accent is beginning to, is beginning oh, to wait, get. Look, I know. I'm, look, I'm, losing, losing, my point. I'm losing, losing my boy. Midwest I'm accent, my boy. be damned. He is 100% on the money. I hope you guys, re- I hope the two Yiki fans in here actually realize that. Oh, I agree completely. I hate people who boo John Carlos Stanton. He's uh, he's the hottest player on the he team right now. That, that boo Francisco Lindor. So why is this blowing up into a multinational media scandal? You know why? Because you're the man. Back from the dead and was running Watergate two. This time it's personal. You would think that it was electric boogaloo of Watergate. You would think that Christ Himself was reincarnated and came back and said, "You know what? I don't really care for Francisco Lindor." Hot take or not, he'll be able to discuss. You know why, Casey? Because you're the Mets. That's why how the New York media treats you. The The New York media treats you like second-class citizens. People just love to kick a bad franchise when it's down. Think about how badly the, 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 the New York Knicks get treated anytime something remotely goes wrong, right? That franchise got booed to kingdom come for 20 years, and the owner has been begged to sell the team, and they made the playoffs last year as a four seed because Julius Randle and R.J. Barrett and Frank Nielakina and all the people that got booed for years – came back and balled out, and that's what they did. That's what winners do. That's what athletes do. Yeah. Can everyone just shut up, enjoy the Last, baseball, and succeed? That's Last why. Deluca. Yeah, this th- this is why I uh, this is why I can't stand half the Yankee fan base. I hate people who boo John Carlos Stanton. I go extra bonkers when he hits a home run, screaming, "Keep on booing him, keep on hating him, please," because it's you just do. fueling him at this point. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And, and for the record, it. The New York Yankees management should be ashamed of themselves for taking this long to put him back in the field because that is clearly what is driving this man to do so well is that he's back in the field taking live reps during the game instead of just sitting his ass on the bench every other every half inning and that's the beautiful thing that's driving his game he's more active now so he's so he's seeing the ball better he, he's got a feel for the ball it's it's just a beautiful thing that we're seeing out of John Carl Stanton but please keep booing him keep hating him and I'll enjoy I'll enjoy him hitting 30 home runs because I love that guy on this team and that's that's oh, we're so proud of you we're so happy for you and, me, and, meanwhile, <laughs> jo- and, and meanwhile Joey just came back from vacation there you go. Well, I'll tell you this, ladies and gentlemen. We talk about we say we talk about the money part, and we speak about how Steve Cohen uh, did say that his pockets were going to open up and everything like that, and you know, exceeding the threat, the luxury tax threshold. A team that I want to point out here are the Los Angeles Dodgers, who right now are sitting second in the NL West, 
two and a half games behind the San Francisco Giants, and they have completely blown everyone out of the luxury tax waters, and they are not at the top of the division. Let's keep that in mind here. So it's not all about money because San Francisco, yes, they are nearly at the top of that, uh, of that. I think, right around that $190 million uh, range of the luxury tax, and they are sitting right now uh, 18, uh, rather uh, 38 games over 500. So they're about to blow past it too. Exactly. So, you know, and, and that's the whole thing. So uh, it's all about what, what, what the, what the, uh, I, I would say the, uh, you know, is the clubhouse toxic is whatever. And, and eventually I'm sure that Steve Cohen will get things, uh, you know, underway in terms of, uh, a, a better clubhouse, less toxic, maybe a brand new manager, a brand new president of baseball operations, and a general brand new manager. manager, brand new president of baseball operations. At this point, yeah, you're gonna get you're gonna get a brand new everybody, uh, and that's what I think he's going to continue stripping it down um, because what he's seen this year is now becoming uh, a lot of drama, and obviously he's trying to remove that drama. Uh, from the Mets name because the Mets have always been a laughing stock ever since they came into existence in 1962. Casey, let, if, this is your final thought. If, if we're getting rid of Sandy Alderson, which I have no strong opinions on whatsoever, I have a guy in mind. Theo? He's, he's, he's familiar with, with New York. He's been around baseball his entire life. Oh, he's, been, he's been spending a lot of time with Steve Cohen, and he's got a lot of time on his hands. Jeff Wilpon is open for business <laughs> as the new president of baseball operations. Come on down, Jeffy. <laughs> Cue Casey, the Price is Right theme Casey, song. What would Mets fans even say to that? Like what would they? What would you or Ian even do if that well, actually you see, came to a? You see how that would probably go to the top of the list as the most Mets thing ever. Yes, probably one hundred, one hundred percent. Short of hiring of, the wild boar, yeah. <laughs> on the back of the Daily News today, Mets go to hell, fans. That's exactly what was on the back of the Daily News today. Uh, Sandy says Jester will not be tolerated. Calls for a team meeting, and then. The official statement from Sandy Alderson, quote, in a post-game press conference today, Javi Baez stated that his thumbs-down gesture during the game was a message to fans who recently have booed him and other players for poor performance. These comments and any gestures by him or other players with a similar intent are totally unacceptable and will not be tolerated. Mets fans are understandably frustrated over the team's recent performance. The players and the organization are equally frustrated, but fans at City Field have every right to express their own disappointment. Booing is every fan's right. The Mets will not tolerate any player gesture that is unprofessional in its meaning or is directed in a negative way towards our fans. I will be meeting with our players and staff to convey this message directly. Mets fans are loyal, passionate, knowledgeable and more than willing to express themselves we love them for every one of those qualities well i know casey was talking about how some fans clearly are not that bright well i mean you know apparently sandy alderson thinks a little different than you and calls your fans knowledgeable and uh what is he what is he supposed to call them joey just Mets fans, and that's really all it comes down to i, I mean i mean he's, if he's gonna lose his job anyway i mean sure call them the most aloof unreasonable boisterous 
uh, unknowledgeable fan. You know I would respect that. If, if this was a stance that was taken from the top down and Steve Cohen tweeted out, A.O., F everybody. And <laughs> that would be beautiful. Heel, and all of them come out with painted on five o'clock shadow and black NWO tank tops. I would be cool with it because <laughs> I would love to respect it. You know what? I love that. This just makes Alderson look like a snowflake. Like, dude, this is New York. Grow up. Well, ladies and gentlemen, let us keep on moving forward here and let's head over a couple of bridges and let's go to uh, the Bronx. And right where we are right now, the New York Yankees had a 12-game winning streak. Uh, okay. was snapped by uh, the Oakland Athletics just a couple of nights ago. And uh, as of right now, there is a very distinct possibility uh, that the Yankees and the Red Sox could be playing in a one-game wild card uh, send-off, if you will, for the loser heading home and the winner extending its season. Um, right now, the Yankees would be in line to host as they are two games ahead of the Red Sox, but a crucial series between the Red Sox and the Tampa Bay Rays are, is ensuing right now, actually, and the Yankees will be beginning a three-game road stand or a three-game road trip, rather, uh, or continuing it out in Anaheim. Uh, they'll be hosting the, or rather, they will be playing against the lowly Angels. Uh, so this is a time, really, for I would say the Yankees to, um, you know, buckle down and take a take take these final three games on the road before heading back home. Uh, and hosting the Baltimore Orioles in a crucial three-game set. And I can't believe I'm saying that is crucial, but there's a distinct possibility with the uh, Boston Red Sox beginning to gain some steam uh, that the Yankees could even fall into that number two wildcard spot. Uh, Ian Stryer, you're the one that uh, that put that put down here um, about this wildcard game or the possibility of it. Uh, what do you see here with the Yankees now losing two in a row? little bump in the road, or do they have still what it takes to get another – uh, winning streak under under their belt. I, I mean, I think we discussed this last week. I think the reason I put it in there was because it, it really has a good chance of happening. I know these two teams met in the playoffs only a couple of years ago um, in the division series, but um, I think Yankees-Sox and a one-game winner-take-all uh, game to decide it, whether that be in the Bronx or at Fenway, would, would make for some great entertainment. Um, we've seen it make for some great entertainment in baseball history beforehand. I know Rob does not want to see it. I don't want it. <laughs> um you know, I, I, no, I don't think it's a bump in the road for the Yankees losing two after winning 12 straight. Um, I think they, they went up against a team that is right now battling um, in their own right for a potential AL West division crown and or potentially battling for a wild card spot. I mean, they're only two and a half back of, of Boston um, and four or so back of the Yankees for the first wild card spot. So I think that, that you know, I think the, the statement would be to go to the, you know, go into Anaheim and at least take two out of three. Um, you know, to show that this team is still has has enough in the tank. I mean, their September, as we mentioned last week, is very, very light. Um, but the same also goes for the Rays, too. Um, so I, I'm not so sure if the AL East at this point is catchable. Um, the Rays have just been playing such good baseball. Um, they've become almost unbeatable um, at this point. Um, I know they're starting a very crucial series, and I'm going to use your word there, Joey, against the Red Sox, um, which I think is tied 1-1 right now, but the Rays are threatening in the second. Um, but, um, no, I, I think, I, I mean, it, it, it seems a real good possibility, uh, but, um, and I think it would just make for good entertainment. I think it would just make for an exciting one game playoff. And I think it's, it's very possible it could happen. It's really wild to see that where it could be a, a wild card game. The Yankees have had, uh, 
you know, they've had their fair share over the last few years of uh, some ups and downs, if you will, in the wild card game. The, the first year, I believe, the wild card was enacted. Uh, it was the Yankees in Houston where they were shut out. Uh, Masahiro Tanaka, Dallas Keuchel. I remember that. I was there for that. I was there for that game. Uh, one of the, 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 the hardest games to watch. Uh, you know, scoreless. That was the year, the year after Derek Jeter retired. Things were, you know, going downhill. Then a couple of years later, Luis Severino uh, completely blows up against the Minnesota Twins. Then we see D.D. Gregorius light things up. I was at that game also. Uh, and we could have yet another wild card game that the Yankees could be hosting uh, this upcoming year. Now, I want to move to Casey Bryant because we talk about, you know, the Yankees and and about booing them and whatnot. But your take here on uh, on the Yankees, even their not only their 12-game winning streak, but talk about their this big, this really crucial stretch here, especially when Boston and Tampa Bay is going on right now. You know, it's it's a great if if this were 15 years ago, I think this would be a really great uh rivalry. Uh, I think the Red Sox-Yankees rivalry has unfortunately kind of fizzled a bit and because of oversaturation of the market. So, like, I, I think that if this were the the Yankee A-Rod versus Poppy Manny Red Sox, this would be national news. Uh, but it kind of falls by the wayside, which is very interesting to see how that tectonic shift in MLB coverage has really gone. Crazy, uh, right? Yeah. It, it, it is funny to think about that. Like – there's just, there's no there's no sizzle there anymore. But irregardless of that, uh, the Yankees uh, are going to get a home field advantage in the wild card, and they're probably going to win the pennant this year. Uh, that's probably just I, that that's my hot take. I'm sticking to it wow. because the, the New York Yankees just own most every team that's in line to make the postseason right now. You think the Yankees are going to have any problems facing? Houston this year I really don't because they're pretty comparable when the Yankees have only had half their lineup for most of the season they still could get Corey Kluber back in time they could still get Luis Severino back in time they've really only had about half a season of Luke Voigt Joey Joey Gallo's hitting 150 he's barely trying and he's still you know no one boos Joey Gallo you know why they won 13 games in a row if you just win all these problems go away and coincidentally and coincidentally, what number is he wearing? 13. 13. Uh, Mr. DeLuca says, no sizzle to what, Mr. Bryant? You know, it's, I, I don't think that there's just any hatred anymore, uh, at least not on the player side of things. I really don't think that there's anything to it. You know, I, I miss the days where Jason Veritek was shoving a, a glove in Alex Rodriguez's face. Uh, you know, I, I don't think anyone on, on the Red Sox has any – malice towards the Yankees and honestly beyond Aaron judge and some of the guys that were here, you know, four years ago when they, when 2017 happened, I really don't think, or 2018 happens when the Red Sox won the world series. I really don't think that there's, there's anything to it anymore. Cause honestly, I think that the Yankees won't even have any problems with the Red Sox if they met in the wild card game. Uh, There's no, there's, there's no, there's no one that's been on the Red Sox for long enough and there's no one on the Yankees that even has a worry that they're not going to make the pennant uh, because I, th- I think it's a foregone conclusion. And the fact that we get Yankees Red Sox shoved down our throats every Sunday at 8 p.m. and the game lasts until 2 in the morning uh, until they finally reach the seventh inning stretch, uh, you know, it's, it's – I don't know. 
Yeah. No, it, it's it's definitely a fair point, Deluca. You as a Yankees fan, I want to hear your thoughts about uh, about that. I mean, it's there you go. It, Thank you for clarifying. It's honestly because it, while Casey's right, it, the hatred's really on just purely for the fan side at this point. And as a fan, that's why it terrifies me. I don't want to be that team that loses to the Boston Red Sox in a one-game winner-take-all, and and the other and the loser gets sent packing when there's a 50-50 shot. That loser is the New York Yankees. So yeah. it's it's very tough to say the least. I mean, this this series is very important right now because if the boss if the Boston Red Sox and the New York Yankees do their job this week of taking care of business with the Yankees taking care of the Angels, and if the Red Sox are to take care of business against the Tampa Bay Rays, that kind of puts a hole in Tampa Bay's gap because that's three games lost right there. Yeah. So that, that would open the race back up if the Red Sox are to do their job. But as Ian alluded to, the Tampa Bay Rays are playing some amazing baseball right now. It's really just unbelievable how they're able to maintain this consistency when everyone kind of thought, that they were going to fall off after the World Series appearance last season because they arguably got worse. So it was it's well, really shocking for a lot of teams. Of their starting pitchers, yeah, right, yeah. So when when you when you get when you get hit that hard, you don't assume a team to be in the division race like this yeah. and essentially hold it down. And really, all they got to do is take two of three from the Red Sox to essentially seal the deal here. And it really and then that obviously would allude to the, the fact of can Oakland rebound and try to steal that final spot away from Boston or New York. And it's hard to say. And the crazy part too, fellas, is, is that looking at the Yankee schedule down the stretch, as Ian brought up earlier, that September is extremely light. But how fitting would it be where Casey Bryant did say earlier, he said his hot take was that the Yankees were going to win the pennant, right? Casey, I have to ask you this. Do you think that the Yankees – hold that that wild card spot or do you believe that they could overtake Tampa and win the division uh you know I I've thought since April that they were going to overtake uh the Rays and win the division it's getting late early for that kind of thing it was six games yeah. is a lot to make up in 30 but hey we've seen six games get lost in 17 days am I right Ian but um uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Well, and, it's, and, and, and yeah, and, and it's funny because we bring that up about about the the latter portion of the season. The final regular season homestand for the New York Yankees. Who do they host? The Tampa Bay Rays. Now, how fitting would that be if the Yankees were to overtake the Rays? And could he, and listen, as Deluca said, right? And I know I'm getting him. I know I'm getting him sweaty here. But just thinking about it, if Boston were to be able to. Phrasing? <laughs> it was strange. Deal with it. Deal with it. No. If Ron, it, listen, if the Yankees can overtake the Tampa Bay Rays, or if Boston can even overtake the Rays, this in the next three days, including tonight, it could be also it could become a three-team race in the AL East all of a sudden when it looked like Tampa had it locked up. And then he, all of a sudden, too, it could even be where the Rays could even bump down to a two-wild card spot. Well, I, I don't know if I'd go that far, Joey, just because if you look at Tampa's schedule also, Tampa's schedule is also very, very light. Um, they've got to still play. I mean, Detroit's been awfully competitive this year, and I give a lot of credit to what's going on with the Tigers. Um, that, that Miguel was Cabrera was chasing a milestone. It's over now. <laughs> well... <laughs> 
I mean, look, it's I mean, they have not rolled over for dead, which has been incredible to me. Um, and, and they've been doing it with it with, with without still calling up a couple of their best prospects. But they still got to play the Tigers. They've got the Twins uh, who are left for dead. I mean, they've got the Jays who who can hit but can't pitch. Um, you know, the, the, a lot of the a lot of those matchups still favor Tampa in a way. I mean, even while the Yankees are playing the O's, the Rays may be getting Minnesota. I mean, it, it, listen, I mean, I think it, I don't want to say six games in 17 days is a once or a twice in a lifetime type thing to happen. But uh, I think at this point, you can't understate or undersell what the Rays are doing. I mean, they got rid of Snell, Morton and lost glass now and are still producing at an at an incredible rate, um, both pitching, both pitching, and then in the addition of Nelly Cruz to even further fortify uh, that lineup. Um, I, I don't know. I don't want to say that they're not. It's not catchable at this point. But like Casey said, it's getting late, early, and uh, it's really getting late right now. And uh, the Yankees would have to rip off another twelve or a thirteen game winning streak. I think at this point for it to happen. No, I don't think so. I, I think that in six six games, say six six games in seventeen days, it's very possible that something like that could potentially happen in a complete. I don't want to say a complete collapse, but again, if Boston were to be able to to take three in a row, or even two, or even win this series, everyone is right back in it, and that's the part where we will leave that off. Guys, let's move over to hockey, and we want to talk about entertainment. Boy, did we get some in a very dry hockey off-season summer. Uh, yes, Barry Kotkaniemi, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, he was offer-sheeted by Carolina. Uh, and, and actually, it's very funny because when I saw some of the numbers and I saw uh, you know, a lot of the, uh, you know, the, the high school banter, the high school drama type thing, and, and when Carolina put out the, uh, the tweet in French, uh, I, I honestly thought of Casey Bryan here because I wanted to see your reaction uh, with the $20 signing bonus with Sebastian Ajo's number. And in that $6.1 million contract, at the end of the zeros, it is 1-5, which is Kotkaniemi's number. And talk about a really, uh, you know, nearly a, a little stab to uh, Mark Bergevin, who did come out publicly and say, you know, a couple of years ago that it is, quote, all business. And he really was trying to get uh, Tom Dundon to uh, – you know, to spend money, to really show and really to put money where his mouth is uh, type thing. And what do you see here with this uh, with this NHL entertainment here in the month of August? Well, first off, I, I'm very flattered that you think of me whenever you see General Tom Foolery in an Internet space. <laughs> uh, thank, thank you very much. I'm glad that I have the stature of a mature adult in your mind. <laughs> uh, we, the Carolina Hurricanes took a pointed shot uh, as a sort of revenge that has been a couple of years in the making at this point now. And it's the kind of spice that I wish there was more of in the NHL. No yeah. other sport really has something like this where you can just offer sheet someone as a restricted free agent. I, and if it is, it is if it is a thing in basketball or football, which I haven't looked at their bylines, but it's like maybe it is and just no one ever uses it. I really wish that more teams would do it because wasn't it fascinating when like Shea Weber got a 15 year offer sheet from the Philadelphia Flyers? Yeah. Uh, wasn't it like really, really fascinating when, when offer sheet went down, like this happens so rarely. I would be doing it every single time. I'd be the least liked general manager in the <laughs> because I would offer sheet Pedersen right now. I would off. I would have offer sheeted Barzal when he was a free agent. I would have done 
everyone. And I would have been like $20 million over the cap, but it would have been so worth it for the LTIR to save you, baby. Exactly. None of it matters. Just have Matt Marzell go like on the LTIR. He'll come back and he'll win the cup and, and, and it won't matter. Uh, I keep telling you guys, sports doesn't matter. Eat at Arby's. It doesn't matter. Uh, so I, I I love the move, and the Kane social media has always been among my favorite in, in the National Hockey League. Uh, and to be honest, who doesn't want to take a pot shot at Montreal as an organization right about now? Well, I'll tell you this. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this, and I want to get to DeLuca next here because just by looking at, at, a, at a hockey aspect here and looking at some of the numbers here, uh, this puts Montreal in a massive, massive hole in terms of uh, you know their their center line depth. But then again, you realize that it really did not do much because he was a healthy scratch in two games of the Stanley Cup final. That's big as well. And it's very evident. Also, there was some rumors here. We, we did see a few things that uh, Kotkaniemi, after the finals, claims that he was never going to wear a Montreal sweater ever again. So that also adds some fuel to the fire. Seems as if he had no problem signing this offer sheet. Also, looking in Carolina's aspect as well, they don't care. They have to unload guys anyway. They have to unload defensemen anyway to make room. For New York Rangers legend Tony D'Angelo, New York Rangers legend Brendan Smith as well. Okay, uh, you, these guys have to have to have some room on the roster. So it's very evident that a Jake Gardner might be going, um, and obviously, and also Ethan Bear is is there as well. They did not make that trade to uh, you know to to ship him off. I don't think. And then you also have two guys here that are going to be playing on uh, you know the final years of their contracts: Nino Niederreiter and uh, Vinny Trocheck that those guys could be jettisoned as well at some point and uh, maybe retain the cap. But this, for the Hurricanes, this this would be a massive win for them and a big loss, in my opinion, for uh, for Montreal. DeLuca, do you agree or disagree with that in terms of that first and third round pick going back to Montreal if uh, Mark Bergervain, the general manager, does not uh, match the offer sheet? I don't. I personally don't see why Montreal would match the offer sheet. That's great compensation for a player like this, honestly. Problem because, though is, is that because Carolina is getting better, you would figure that those two picks would be all the way at the bottom. Uh, essentially, but I I don't know. I mean, you got Carolina dishing out money for Brendan Smith and, and Tony D'Angelo, as you mentioned, as opposed to dishing out the money to got to top defenseman like I don't know say a guy like Dougie Hamilton I mean uh, you know Hurricanes legend Dougie Hamilton who is now not because they didn't they decided they wanted to be cheap and not pay the man what he was worth so nonetheless I think this is good it could work out for both sides because look Jesperi Kakaniemi is 21 years old so while he was a healthy scratch unbeknownst to a lot of people for two games in the Stanley Cup final He's got a lot of room to he he's not there yet, but again, 21 years old. There's time for him to grow. He's got a lot of growing to do, and he will do it. And I think that he could grow very well in Carolina. Granted, this is only a one-year offer, so it'll be interesting to see if he would even stay in Carolina after well, this. They also have control. He would be an RFA. Right. He would be an RFA. So Carolina would now have control. So I think that it could work out for him. But I think Montreal has zero reason to match this offer sheet, really, because 
what kind of money do they have right now? They 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 themselves are in a little bit of a bind. So what they, they have do, no cap space whatsoever. Exactly. So it's not it, it's not like they're in a position to match this offer sheet. Otherwise, someone's got to go. And after the I'm gonna say it fluke run to the Stanley Cup final, they're not gonna match that this year. They're not. They might not even make the playoffs this year. Now that we're in a normal 82 game season, and Car- Carey Price only got a little bit older. While he's still a great goaltender, his gas is going to run on, run on E a lot sooner because there's a lot more regular season to work with. So, that being said, I think that Montreal will take the compensation and let Jesperi Kakaniemi become a Carolina Hurricane. The first and third round pick will be fine for them because who wouldn't want a first round pick? Because here's the thing. Even if it does go low and like Carolina's really good, which they could be or they might not be. It's tough to say at this point. It's a it's a tradable pick because it's a first-round pick. So you can always move a first-round pick if you don't think you need to use it. And you could get yourself some good prospects or a roster player for a first-round pick because first-round picks hold a lot of weight these days. So only, yeah, and not only that too, Deluca. We've also had you know we we we've grown under this under this assumption and really. Um, that you know, after a after a top ten pick, uh, these picks are meaningless. I want to say a few guys, maybe the likes. All sports of, are meaningless, Joey. Yeah, that is true. At Arby's, at Arby's. exactly. So, so, have you ever have you ever eaten at Arby's? It's actually, it's actually it's really good. It's actually amazing. Medium beef and cheddar, fantastic. You're just trying to get sponsorship for the for the podcast. Hey, <laughs> play, hey, we've been on, we've been on the air for over a year now. We earned it. That's right. So just to we have the, we have the meats here, boys. That is, oh good lord! I'm going to stop that right now. And Casey wanted to talk about certain things when I said sweaty and whatever. I think that one exactly right, exactly. And I think I think that can that might that one might have taken the top. Um, no, I, I I think that you know you you look back to guys like Henrik Lundqvist, uh, Joe Pavelski, even a uh, you know uh, pick number twenty seven in Anthony Beauvillier just a few years ago. Um, you know, these guys, you know, as DeLuca said, these first round picks do hold so much. And a lot of these, and I don't want to say, you know, internet general managers or whatnot, like, you know, like how I am legendary New York Islanders, internet general manager, Joey jazz. Um, but you know, it's the, it's these later picks that, you know, you really can strike gold on. And it's very possible that if Montreal were to not accept or rather not match the offer, uh, Bergevin could potentially find a diamond in the rough. Ian Schreier, um, not only the entertainment part, but also the hockey aspect of this. Uh, where does Montreal go with this? And really, where does Carolina go with this? What do you think? I, th- I think it makes a lot of sense for Carolina here. I think this is a team that 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 is um, young, but also is trying to contend um, within a certain window also. Um, I think for Montreal, it's going to hurt because potentially they're losing another bottom six player. Um, you know, we, we, we saw Philip Deneau go to the Kings. We're potentially going to see Jesperi Kotkaniemi, although he was a, a scratch for two games in the Stanley Cup final. He was still a piece in what got the Canadians to where they got to and got in, on that run. And I think losing a couple of key depth pieces, uh, albeit young pieces, to uh, but still core pieces of that team um, is going to hurt Montreal in the long run. And the fact that they're cap strapped and the fact that um, the Hurricanes have the money and the ability to sign and want to waive the compensation of a first and a third. I think it makes all the sense in the world. Um, I, they've got to compete. Uh, you know, now that we're going back to the the restructured divisions the way we know them, they've got to compete 
with, um, you know, the, the rest of the metropolitan division. And, and I think that's, that's, that's a very, yeah. that's a very difficult ask. I mean, you you know, you're talking about, you know, at this point, I mean, listen, uh, we'll, we'll sit here and, and, and I'll make a little pitch to our NHL previews, which are starting in a few weeks. But um, I think that, you know, you, you look at it from a perspective of who, you know, are they going to, you know, they need to keep up with the Islanders now and they need to keep up with the Penguins and they need to keep up with the Caps. And, they, you know, and, and, you know, to a certain extent, I mean, are the Flyers going to bounce back? And and I think that they're, 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 it, it opens a lot of questions. And, and I think the only teams that you could say at this point that's in re, a rebuilding mode besides the Devils maybe is Columbus. And I think that that puts, you know, the, the, the Hurricanes in a very precarious spot. And I think they're trying to take advantage – of that top line and trying to keep them together for as long as they possibly can and trying to get them within a window to contend. Listen, they were only two years removed. They're only two years removed from being a series win away uh, from go, uh, excuse me, two series wins away from going to the Stanley cup final. I mean, if they made it past, if they, you know, they got past the Islanders a couple of years ago and, oh, excuse me, that year they made it to the, to the East, to the Eastern final. So, I mean, I think that, that they're still trying to catch lightning in a bottle a little bit with a young core. You can't blame them. Um, they, they definitely have their question marks with goaltending, but I think they're trying to build the way kind of Montreal is with a young team and try to make a run. Casey, I want to end it off with you here and looking at Montreal and in the Atlantic division, you got to see obviously Jonathan Drouin, who was brought in uh, in a one for one. Well, in terms of roster players, nearly a one for one swap between Drouin and Mikhail Sergachev with Tampa and you got to see how bad Jonathan Drouin was exposed at the center position. He simply was unable to play as the number one center down, or rather up in Montreal. Uh, he was now shifted over to a wing, and now with Kotkaniemi not being able to potentially center a fourth line now that uh, Phil Deneau is gone, and really now you've got Nick Suzuki there who you know has a full, a full season under his belt, a full Stanley Cup run under his belt, Cole Caulfield, You've got now Cedric Paquette, who probably is going to take over that fourth-line center spot, which is very, very iffy. Um, and you also have Jake Evans as well, who's been playing on the wing much of last season. Where do you see this Montreal team going in terms of center depth? Because as the players I've named, they really don't have much. I'll give you a very bold prediction on where they go. They take the, the uh, picks from Carolina, and they ship Drouin out to Buffalo and get Jack Eichel. I think that they turn around oh. and they use all these picks to get Jack Eichel, prime away from Buffalo. They have a couple of young, albeit overpriced, stars that Buffalo could take on because they have no salary. They could take Anderson or Drew N or someone who's making five and a half. There's your cap space. You throw them a couple of free draft picks that all of a sudden that have fallen from the sky. You don't have to worry about signing Kakaniemi to an extensive deal. I think that that would be the best option for Montreal. So I, I legitimately think that now they've leapfrogged over Anaheim and New York as the front runner for Jack Eichel. Wow. That is, you know what? I didn't really even think of that because now that you say that, Casey, you bring up a fantastic point in what Buffalo was asking for. Drew yeah. is, is an NHL player, yet he's been injured ever since he's been born, number one. Number two, also, you've also got the draft picks now that you said, and once they don't do that, this could potentially work out in favor of Mark Bergevin when people do not realize, or as Casey has brought up to the man moves in silence, the general, listen, I mean, Hey, listen, he's no, he's no Lou Lamarillo, but it very well could be, a, a, I don't want to call it a fleece, 
But at this point, it could be a... Uh, it, could, it could end up turning into Jesperi Kakaniemi for Jack Eichel at this point. Which would be... Would I be would shock me because I'm still more scary. than convinced Jack Eichel is going to be a New York Ranger on opening night. But Well, we've already... Right, and obviously we're going to have our conversations about that. But in terms of this, though, that is a very good uh, prediction that I... Now, just by looking at our good friends at Cap Friendly and seeing their website... Uh, that is a very good possibility that Casey Bryant brought up there. Uh, guys, let's keep on Whoa, moving forward. Take note. Say it again. <laughs> I said take note of Casey Bryant, Chris Drury. Take note. Yeah, there's uh, that. Casey that Bryant is very filling true. in for Chris Drury? Yeah. I, Copy that. <laughs> Listen, guys, Casey Bryant 51, slide into the DMs, Chris. That's it. There you go. Uh, take a peek at the bottom on the ticker for all of the uh, all of our uh, – Excuse me, all the information for social media. Guys, let's keep on moving forward here. Uh, let's move into football because um, we've got in the next couple of minutes, in about 15 minutes, we're going to have on uh, our guest is going to be Tyler Lawrence. He is a podcaster. Uh, from, he is, let me rephrase that, co-host of the Shock Therapy podcast and is a uh, diehard Chargers fan. Uh, you can thank Ian Schreier for finding him. Uh, he will be on our show starting at 8.30 Eastern time, 5.30 Pacific uh, so that should be a ton of fun, and the five of us will be bantering about AFC West in our final NFL preview show. Guys, let's keep on moving forward here into the NFL. J.K. Dobbins running back for the Baltimore Ravens blew out his ACL, uh, suffered a season-ending injury, as well as rookie running back from the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, Travis, uh, Ian, I need you to, I need you to, uh, to pronounce. That's Travis Etienne. Okay, so Travis Etienne. Uh, ramifications for both teams. I think this, this one's going to hurt Baltimore even more. Uh, they don't have Mark Ingram in the back. All they've got now is Gus Edwards. Uh, we'll start with you, Ian, here. Uh, who really is going to be suffering more, either Baltimore or Jacksonville? Oh, Baltimore for sure. I mean, this is a, this is a, a running back who really came into his own as a rookie last year for the Ravens. Um, but I, I don't want to take anything and discredit Gus Edwards. I thought – he was a really nice change of pace back for the Ravens last year. Um, he really, to a certain extent, took away some goal line carries at the end of last, um, not even the end, or just all last season for Baltimore from Dobbins, uh, just because Gus Edwards was just that nice that 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 back that you like to use inside the ten that can pummel through guys. That was that's more of a north south guy as compared to Dobbins, who's more of an east west. Um, but yeah, I think this really takes a little bit of a hurting on the Ravens. Um, this is a team right now that, that, that does have injuries on offense right now coming into the season. It's probably not where you want to be uh, two weeks in, 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 a, in a division that's going to be very well contended, probably with three teams, that being the Ravens, the Steelers, and uh, the Cleveland Browns. Um, but on the other hand, when, when you know, I know Jacksonville is not going to be a big, big story aside from uh, Trevor Lawrence, but I think the fact that the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars – um, used, I mean, of, of all the places to use. And I understand what we've learned so much in the NFL um, about surrounding your quarterbacks with talent. And I think, you know, you know, getting, you know, drafting your franchise quarterback and then not surrounding him with the talent to succeed. You know, I, I think the first name that pops into my mind right off the bat is Sam Darnold. Um, and you don't want to, you know, you don't want to become the next, you know, Sam Darnold, especially with a guy with, with a talent like Trevor Lawrence um, is that, um, they went out there and they they took their second first round draft pick at the end of the first round last year. And instead of addressing other areas of need, they went out there and they and they drafted his 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 running back teammate from Clemson. 
Uh, so I think, to, I mean, James Robinson is still the starter there, but I think um, you want to try to have that chemistry between uh, two guys that know each other real well and uh, that are that are the future of that offense um, just because of how good Etienne was at Clemson. Um, I think uh, it's going to hurt them a little bit. I mean, I, I don't think anyone's expecting too much out of North, from North Florida, but at the same time, um, the Dobbins uh, injury certainly holds more weight, but I think uh, the Etienne, it, it could, it could, it could hurt T-Law's progress a little bit. Uh, that, that definitely is a possibility, uh, especially when James Robinson came out into the forefront last year, uh, a lot on, uh, it was really, I, I, I guess I want to say one of the best running backs that we've gotten to see down in Jacksonville since Maurice Jones drew. Is that hard to say Casey Bryan, or is that hard to agree with if you will? Yo, Maurice Jones Drew, shout out Madden 06. What a legend. Uh, <laughs> what a name drop there. I saw a, like a post on Facebook. It was one of those just like corny meme pages, but it was like, I missed this era of running back. And it was like Chris Johnson and, uh, and, uh, Maurice Jones Drew and, uh, Ryan, was it, uh, Ryan George in, in Green Bay? And uh, Ryan, Ryan, Grant, Ryan Grant, yeah, Ryan Grant. There you go. Thank you. Uh, so it's, it's just one of those corny posts about that, but anyway, that notwithstanding, uh, James Robinson, uh, pride of Rockford, Illinois, by the way. Shout out Midwest and my new home state of Illinois. Uh, that's that's the most valuable contribution I have for that. Uh, no, J- James Robinson is going to be a star on in Jacksonville again this year. I, th- I think that honestly. In the NFL, your running back depth is not as great as as one might think. I think you have a lot of really good running backs, but very few great running backs, uh, which is why James Robinson is such a a, a precious commodity. I think that because like Zeke isn't even going to have a very good year. I don't think. I don't think Saquon is going to have a very good year because he's coming back from injury. Like yeah, the number of like star running backs is down to like Kamara really and uh, Dalvin Cook. Yeah, yeah, Derrick Henry. You really don't have a ton of of star running backs anymore. That's why in fantasy, I legit I have my fantasy football draft as soon as this show ends. So like, I have to prep my own mental space of of who's going to be a good running back this year. So, uh, uh, any I have to start googling who's in the NFL now uh, <laughs> for for my fantasy draft. Is 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 Priest Holmes? Still in the NFL is is Eddie George still in the NFL? I, I don't know. That, I have to that's a great pick. He, he, Keyshawn <laughs> Johnson. <laughs> Yo, shout out Eddie George. By the way, this is a total random tangent, but shout out Eddie George for being on Broadway just before the shutdown. Like one of the last things that Broadway did was put Eddie George in the starring role of Billy uh, Billy Flynn in Chicago on Broadway. So shout out my man, Eddie George. You a real one. <laughs> I don't even know where to go from there. <laughs> other, other than try to just continue with football, I guess. And I guess look, so, yeah. Look, this obviously hurts the Ravens way more because let's be real. What kind of ceiling did Jacksonville have? They didn't have one because they're not. They're still not going to be that good. They still have a long way to go before they're going to be anywhere. So it, it does stink for Trevor Lawrence that he doesn't have his boy in his backfield. But nonetheless, it's it's way worse for the Baltimore Ravens now because that essentially eliminated their running game. 
because that now it's all on Lamar Jackson really to to do the job here. He's got to play quarterback and running back, which I mean, look, he does that anyway. It's what he did at Louisville for four years. It's what he's been doing since he got to the NFL. So I don't see how that's going to be the biggest problem. The problem is it's going to exhaust him, and it, it's probably if he's gonna if he runs a lot early. It's going to exhaust his arm later. It's going to be tiring on himself later when he's going to need to make some clutch throws. And if he's already gassed, the throws are not going to be as efficient, and therefore they're going to run into issues. So it, it's really, it really makes the AFC North interesting. I mean, me personally, I think that just help, that this only helps the Pittsburgh Steelers essentially solidify their uh, shot at the title i really don't see how cleveland's gonna do it i mean cleveland may overtake baltimore they won't overtake pittsburgh in the process that's a that's the thing so i think that baltimore really took a hard hit here losing jk dobbins and it's honestly unfortunate and it makes you bring up the conversation of whether or not starters should really waste their time in the preseason or not because this is what happens you 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 while it's only preseason you're still getting tackled. You're still making football plays where injury is always a risk. So you have to come. It's a conversation that has to be revisited. But at the same time, it's important because a lot a lot of players will sit out. Like sometimes they'll sit their starters out in preseason, and then their their first couple snaps in the regular season, they're total trash because they just they had no reps in them. So it really make it, it there's pros and cons to both sides of that really so it's unfortunate in the end but i mean it's these things happen they do happen and it happens every single preseason that absolutely that that things had that things happen and you usually see it from these offensive linemen the defensive linemen anybody that and for and for those fantasy players this is why you should never draft until preseason is over because it's it's really just that simple because the, the, if you draft during preseason and someone goes down in, like, the final week, you've screwed yourself. That is very true. That is 100% true. Uh, guys, let's keep on moving forward here. One final topic just before we get to our special guest, Tyler Lawrence. Who oh, do it, Joey. Seen. Come on, do it. Uh, you know you, you, know you got to do it. We're going to get him on in just a few moments here. Uh, so, uh, no, it's not going to be the topic that you want. It's not <laughs> do it. No, it's not going to be because do it. Worth the topic. It's well, not going to be. And Tyler is standing is standing by backstage saying, "What did I just get myself into?" No, Minshew Mania will not. He knows he got himself into trouble when he talked to Ian. Minshew Mania will not be discussed because it's a good trade. He's going to be a third backup. That's it. Done. Jalen Hurts. We welcome you with open arms in New York. Jameis Winston was tabbed as the starting quarterback uh, in New Orleans. Week one starter, Taysom Hill, is going to be uh, heading into, I guess, the number two role. Jameis Winston, will he have 30 interceptions, Casey Bryant? Or will he be throwing to Michael Thomas, or in the direction anyway, and have about 25 picks? What do you say? Not until week six, but go ahead, Casey. (laughs) Yeah, the fact that he did lose one of his biggest weapons in Thomas hurts Jameis, but Jameis is still a gunslinger, uh, which makes him one of the most entertaining quarterbacks to watch, depending on where your allegiances lie. Like it or not, he's going to provide you with some fireworks, be it positive or negative, which makes him one of the greatest spectacles in sports. He's basically the equivalent of a one true outcome hitter in baseball. He's, he's, He's football's Adam Dunn. It's either going to be a completed Hail Mary or an interception right into the linebacker's hands with Jameis Winston. 
But as we saw when, when Drew Brees went down with an injury, virtually any quarterback can succeed in the system just so long as they stick to the game plan because they're going to get protection and they're going to have a lot of options to work with. Even without Michael Thomas, you still have a pretty solid receiving core and you still have the greatest running back in the NFL standing by your side in the backfield, and that can mask a lot of problems. The defense is still pretty good in New Orleans. So Jameis doesn't have to play out of his mind. In Tampa Bay at the time, he had to play out of his mind if he was if Tampa Bay was going to be any good. Tampa didn't get good really until Jameis left, and then they started bringing in these star-studded talents to play around Tom Brady and really go for it in one year. Jameis never had that kind of support. So I think that now that he has some stars, it doesn't really matter if it's Taysom Hill or Jameson. Uh, excuse me, Jameis Winston, because the Saints are probably going to cruise to another 11-win, 12-win, if not more than that season. Jason uh, Hill is honestly one of the most fun products that you can work with where he could be quarterback. If Jameis doesn't work out, great. Taysom Hill's proven he can win as quarterback. I think it's all gravy here for Jameis. The pressure's off him. He doesn't have to be next Drew Brees because he's got such a great ta- team around him. Uh, who wants to take that one uh, next? Ian Schreier, yeah, go ahead. sure. I mean, go ahead, Luca. Yeah, I mean, to Luca, go ahead. Um, yeah, I'm not surprised by this move at all. Let's look. Taysom Hill. Casey's right. Taysom Hill is fun. The guy's a lot of fun. He's not a star. He's not a starting quarterback. It, he's he's not. He is he is at best a third string quarterback he's not meant to be oh, no, a quarterback he's, be, he's, he's meant, meant for that option that weapon is what he is he's me- yeah he's meant for that wild ca- he's meant for that wild cat play he's meant for maybe being like you know i've i've seen the saints do it they they kind of have him in there at just as an extra blocker or a fullback sometimes randomly depends where they are on the field it's just a matter of it they went with the real quarterback in this situation. And while he may not be the best quarterback in the league by a long shot, he's, you know, he, exa- it's like Casey said, he's, he, he, there'll be fireworks one way or then or another. And I think that it's, it's the right move for the saints. It's there. It's going to be a crucial couple of games for him. And, and Ian Casey as New York giants fans, let's, Let's take advantage of this guy while he doesn't have Michael Thomas. We're playing him early. I believe it's week four. So Giants got to take advantage of him. I don't know if I if I necessarily agree with saying Casey and saying 12 wins, maybe more. That, that uh, may have been a little bold. I, I mean, I, no, I'm not, I'm not trying to say, hey, I'm not saying the Saints are – I'm not saying the, the Saints are hovering around 500. I think they still have one of the better offensive lines in football – um, especially with Armstead and Ramchek leading on, leading out at the uh, the tackle positions, you have one of the, the best, a top three running back in football right now in Alvin Kamara. And to Casey's point, yes, like he masks a lot of the problems right now that the Saints have vis-a-vis um, no Michael Thomas potentially until Week Six. Um, you know the fact that you're you're, you're still depend you're going to be depending on guys, um, you know, on like a punt returner like Deontay Harris, albeit he he is a weapon um, to be you know, maybe your, your number three wide receiver right now. Um, you know, I thought, um, you know, Traquan Smith really came, came into his own a little bit, but remember this team no longer has, doesn't have Michael Thomas for almost half the season. Doesn't have Emmanuel Sanders anymore. Doesn't have Jared cook anymore. Um, so that the, there are some concerns there. I think it's going to, 
uh, put, actually, believe it or not, I think it's going to put more pressure on, on Jameis. No, we're not asking him to be Drew Brees, but he also is not does not have at least the same weapons on the outside right now that Drew Brees has had to throw the ball to most of his career. And I think that's just going to put a little added pressure and maybe unnecessary pressure um, on Jameis to ask guys like, you know, Traquan Smith to now become a number one option and a guy like a Marquez Callaway to be a number two. Um, you know, I think, I think, I think 11 wins, you know, 10, 11 wins is probably in their ballpark. I mean, the fact you still got to play the Saint, you got to play the, you got to play Brady and the Bucks twice. Um, I'm not so sure that the Falcons are going to be a walkover. I know defensively they're still very suspect. Uh, but I mean, I, I can't take things away from them about still having the Matt Ryan, Calvin Ridley, um, connection, still the Falcons being able to put up points. Um, and then obviously you got McCaffrey back with Carolina, hopefully healthy. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think uh, for, for, for Jameis, this had to happen. Um, I think they, they tried to give the Taysom Hill experiment a try. Um, look, the, the arm strength is not there. He's meant to be employed as a wildcat option, as an option you could split out wide. He's really kind of a jack-of-all-trades uh, type of quarterback. It was because they did not believe in Jameis Winston. They didn't go out and sign a quarterback or trade for a quarterback or draft a quarterback. So this is what the situation they're in, and Jameis has to be the QB at least for now. Welcome to the best day of the year. What was that? What the hell was that? I don't know what that was, but let's keep on <laughs> we're moving. Let's, we're moving let's, on. Our, let's our just one, bring our guest in and our one pretend that never happened. For the uh, our one technical difficulty for the show, but yeah, that's the uh, that's the story with Jameis at this point. Well, uh, we did have that little have that little uh, technical difficulty here, but. Uh, listen, listen, Tyler Lawrence, ladies and gentlemen, uh, co-host of the shock therapy podcast and diehard chargers fan. And Tyler, correct us if, if we're wrong here. Uh, but you are a season ticket holder at SoFi stadium. Uh, I'm assuming you were at the, uh, at the big brawl game between the Rams and the chargers in the stands. Were you near that? How, how, how was that brawl over there? I, uh, if you will. (laughs) I was not anywhere near the brawl. Uh, matter of fact, I was at home. I actually gave my tickets away on the podcast for the preseason game. Okay. So I did not come. Uh, but that was an interesting, crazy fight. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and it was a, a Rams against Rams. It was it was terrible. It, and it terrible way to open up the stadium. <laughs> and I think it all started because somebody looked like she threw a Gatorade bottle, basically. Oh, she happened. threw a Coke at a, at a guy. Like, she started it. <laughs> And all of them are now banned. What a terrible place to get banned from SoFi Stadium, by the way. You're going to, like, the first ever, like, game, and you get banned at a preseason game. So you don't even get any real, like, live, like, anything. It was, it was terrible. Terrible way to, to get ejected. Tyler Lawrence, thank you so much for joining us here on this show. 8.30 Eastern Time, 5.30 Pacific Daylight Time, where you are coming from. Uh, so thank you for taking some time out of your late afternoon out in, uh, in, in the, uh, on the West Coast. Uh, welcome to the show, and uh, you know, thanks for so much for coming on, man. How, how are things with you otherwise? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, I'm excited to, be, to get started with the season. The preseason yeah. is wrapping up. We're getting down to the 53-man cut, so we'll, there's some interesting uh, conversations being done right now. It's players making the roster or not. Uh, different free agents that are going to become available here in the next couple days. Uh, It's definitely an interesting time for some NFL football. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Let's get things started with the, uh, with the aforementioned Los Angeles chargers. Uh, I'm going to start, I'll start things off here with the first question. And, uh, 
And I think this one, you know, we're just going to just throw it right out there. Sophomore slump, yes or no? Justin Herbert, what are your thoughts? No, I don't think so. I don't don't believe in the sophomore slump. I do think there is going to be somewhat of a learning curve. Uh, The fact that he didn't play all preseason, it doesn't concern me. But there are some reps there that are going to be missing in a, a completely new system with Joe Lombardi. Uh, but most of the offensive line is is should be has been in years past. The Chargers have had a bottom tier offensive line for years now, and just being even average, I th- would say, would be a huge win for them at that that position group there. So I don't see it. I th- I think he's got the weapons around him. I think that Joe Lombardi is an interesting uh, play caller compared to having Anthony Lynn and and Shane Steichen over the last couple of years as well. So, no, I don't see the sophomore slump. Mm, well, uh, I, I want to move over to the next, uh, you know, to the next topic here, which would be uh, the the offensive line. You discussed it earlier. Uh, do you see any regressions, any progressions? And if, you know, if, if so, who really makes the, uh, the difference behind, uh, you know, you got obviously Corey Lindsley, now Brian Balaga. Talk about what you see here on this offensive line. Well, it's hard to regress from having the worst offensive line in the league. Uh, it's a little, little hard to, to do that. Uh, but I do think that Rayshon Slater has has really showed out during camp. Uh, he's been very, very impressive against Joey Bosa in, in the one preseason game he did play in. Uh, Corey Lindsley is a top five center, if not the best center in football right now. Mm. Uh I don't necessarily think that he's going to have this same year he had last year. Uh, I, I do think that he was playing uh, in a system that fit very well, and he has the NFL's best quarterback behind him who's really good at getting the ball out of his hands fast, but he had a phenomenal year. Uh, I'm a little more concerned about the position at guard. Uh, you know, Matt Feeler, he played at Pittsburgh last year, but Pittsburgh really didn't have the greatest offensive line. And he was kind of the the bright spot and really an aging group of, of veteran guys there. Uh, they turned over their entire offensive line this year. So he is something that I'm a little worried about. No, Adeo Bushi uh, played with the Lions last season. He's kind of been a journeyman do, signing one-year contracts all around the league. Uh, kind of an under-the-radar signing because they got him very, very cheap. But ultimately, who is he going to be at this point in his career? And then Brian Belaga has had injuries uh, over the last, you know, five years. He's, he's had a lot of injuries there, but he is one of the better pass protectors in football. Uh, it is a new group. Uh, they've never played together on any part of that offensive line. So there, there's some chemistry that needs to be built there. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot of contact during this offseason uh, for those guys. So there, there could be a learning curve there, but having veterans at that position group is definitely a lot better than having a bunch of rookies. One final question for me here before we head it off or before I send this off to uh, Ian Schreier and the remainder of the panel here, Derwin James has not played since 2019 since he got hurt on week number five. Talk about what you see with him early on here uh, in this, in this 2021 campaign. Is he who he is going to be? Is he really going to be the, you know, this, this big safety that everyone has been talking about for the last couple of years. So he had a phenomenal camp in, in 2020, right before he got injured. Uh, that He's had a lot of knee injuries, but his success during training camp has been talked about over the last two seasons. 
nonstop. He's he's going to be wearing the green dot on game day, so he's going to be calling the plays for Brandon Staley. Uh, that's a big role. That's that's a lot to for him to fill. Uh, I still think that he is one of the top guys. He's competing against guys in practice like George Kittle and getting picks against uh, uh, Keenan Allen. Uh, he guys are just raving about his leadership, his ability to play the ball, his ability to compete with anybody, and his just leadership overall is something that a lot of people have been talking about. I don't see there being much of a slump. I am just concerned about the health. Uh, he's had major, major surgeries to both legs both knees to his foot. Uh, I'm just a little concerned on whether or not he'll be able to stay healthy for a full season. Ian Stryer, take it away. Tyler, thanks so much for taking some time with us here today and uh, appreciate uh, with the three-hour time difference we were able to coordinate and get you on here with us and uh, hope all is well down in Southern Cal. Um, with respect to the uh, – the first thing I want to talk about is what you had mentioned with regards to the Chargers first round draft pick this past year in Rayshon Slater. And uh, the fact that when he was uh, pegged in the draft, he was pegged more as a left guard uh, than he was pegged to play tackle. And we know that the, uh, um, the offensive line for the Chargers was in shambles last year, but um, usually there, there is a learning curve. And I, and I think that's great that he's going up against Bosa and the, the, he's really testing his metal early on in camp to see what exactly they have in this touted prospect. But um, do you think that they're come week one when they're, you know, when they're going up against Sweat and Chase Young, um, you know, against against the Washington football team week one? And granted, there, there will be week one anyway, but do you expect in year one of Rayshon Slayer that there's going to be a little bit more of a learning curve than expected because he's transitioning from guard to tackle? Uh, he's not transitioning from guard to tackle. He played left tackle and he played left tackle against Chase Young in 2019 and, and eliminated him out of the game. So uh, a lot of analysts did peg him kind of to that guard because they don't like the the short arms. Uh, the guy's athletic. He understands leverage. It's not going to be concerning at all. And he's had phenomenal camps, has not lost a whole lot of reps against any of the edge rushers for the Chargers. Uh, so I don't think that's too big of an issue at all. Um, he's played very, very well at a high level uh, in that conference with Ohio State, and he's performed admirably. While he was there, he did take a year off of COVID. If there was any rust that needed to be knocked off, it would be because of that. But absolutely no reason he, he's not going to be able to play tackle in this uh, in this league. We saw a little bit with uh, last year regards to healthy the health issues with Austin Eckler, but also the fact that um, and it, to a certain extent he wasn't used in you know as as the pass catching running back a little bit that we've known him to be. Um, I think his stock kind of dropped, dipped a little bit because of it. Nor, I'm not saying it should, but I think it did. Uh, I mean, we know what to expect from Keenan Allen. We know that now that Hunter Henry is gone, the Chargers replaced him with Jared Cook. Uh, but most importantly, I mean, I think we could say aside from from 13 that Eckler is the second probably biggest weapon beside, aside from Justin Herbert um, and meaning Keenan Allen in terms of a, a skilled player uh, to really come in and need a big year out of. What's to expect from Eckler coming into 2021? So I think Eckler is going to be utilized really similarly to Alvin Kamara. Uh, they offer kind of similar skill sets. I think Kamara is a little more athletic and offers a little bit more, uh, even in terms of size. But pound for pound, Austin Eckler is one of the strongest guys in the NFL at his size. There's not very many guys that are are doing the workouts that he's doing around the NFL. Uh, he's very, very good at catching passes out of the backfield. Uh, he's small. He gets wiggle room in between the tackles. Uh, he's never taken hits head on. He's always fallen forward and 
for a guy who's 5'8", 200 pounds, and still falling forward often, uh, that's that's awesome to see. I think he's going to be a target monster, uh, and I think that they're going to move him all around the, the from the backfield. He'll probably get some snaps out in, in the slot. Uh, Joe Lombardi likes to use running backs. He has done so very, very well uh, in his time with the Saints, learning under Pete Carmichael there. Uh, you look at guys like Mark Ingram. You look at guys like Reggie Bush, Alvin Kamara. There's plenty of of film to go and watch and see exactly how uh, the Saints have utilized some of their running backs. And you should expect a lot of the same out of Austin Eckler. And I think we also expected it just when he came to uh, the Chargers as well. And uh, when he became the lead back and, um, you know, we, I think he was just kind of expected to be that next type of Alvin Kamara that we've seen even, you know, go back a little bit further and think of names like uh, Deion Lewis uh, and um, and James White, even with the Patriots, you know, to be used as that kind of back, if not even better. But uh, my last question is uh, is really related to, I think, my most concerning piece regarding the Chargers coming into 2021. And that was the ability to put games away. Um, and I know that that was under Anthony Lynn. I know it's a, it's a new coaching staff, new defensive coordinator with Brandon Staley. Um, and I mean, I'll be quite honest and come out and say that I think that the Chargers are the sleeper team in the of my choice for this year. I think a lot of people just, you know, they see the Chiefs in the AFC West and kind of just kind of throw digs at everybody else in the division. But I think a lot of people are sleeping um, on the Chargers because of their inability to put games away in the fourth quarter last year. And I, and maybe Tyler, you can help me with the number of games that I think that they led in the fourth last year that they just, I came. don't want to, man. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to, this isn't anything new. All right. So going back all the way, you could go back to 2010 and look at their ability to close out games in the fourth quarter. They're them giving up leads at the end of the half. Uh, the Chargers have had real issues with closing games out for years. This is nothing new. This is just, and they losing games. They're giving them away in weird and odd ways. I mean, uh, it just, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I am concerned about it. I am hoping that there is a change of culture here that's happening, right? Uh, that happens anytime you have a new coaching staff. The one constant that I've been looking at this entire time has been Tom Telesco and his inability to fix this, fix this offensive line. Uh, but closing out games, that's that's a big deal. There's a lot of one-game losses, a lot of one-scored losses, I should say. And it's not been fun to watch. They always seem to have talent on both sides of the ball. There's never been an issue of are they talented enough to compete because they're in almost every game. Uh, that That's going to be the thing to look at, though, is that the change of culture is Brandon Staley going to bring a different culture to this team and teach this team how to win, how to close out, and, you know, ultimately, uh, who do they want to be – who do they want to identify as as a team? So I think Brandon Saley is going to be the, the main guy to look at there on whether or not they're able to close games. Oh, thank you, Tyler. I think that really kind of clears things up. I didn't realize that, it, that it's going back a decade now, but just because of the number of gut-wrenching losses and, as a, and also as a uh, – as a Giants fan, the last few years that have experienced the number of losses as well, um, in terms of one possession, one score losses, you have a lot of them, except for the guy going to. The, oh, it's a lot, dude. It's so much, so many times, right? Yeah. I'm I'm really excited at the last two minutes of the game because we just got a turnover, and we we turned the ball back over somehow or some way. I mean, just the number of times they lost games, not even so much, you know, whether they blew a lead in the fourth quarter or just lost the game on the final possession. Um, but, um, at this point, I mean, Casey, uh, why don't you jump in? 
Yeah, well, I have a question, Tyler, be, uh, pertaining to prior to Anthony Lynn's final season, the the Chargers and Rams were both featured on Hard Knocks, which is one of my favorite shows on television. I always love getting the behind-the-scenes look at teams that are not my own. So you really got a contrast in coaching approaches where, you know, Sean McVay was, was very uppity, very up in everyone's face, very talkative. Anthony Lynn was much more mellow and much more down to business. Uh, I'm curious what you saw uh, organizationally about the charges that you liked or didn't like or things that you saw maybe as a symptom of a problem in, in last year's season and what that you would like to see addressed based off of that going forward. Did, did you like getting a look at how your food is made, basically? <laughs> uh, you know, that's interesting. I've been a, a big fan of Hard Docs too, and, and I'm looking at going back over the last couple years and seeing how the Browns ran it, how the the Dallas Cowboys are running it this year, how Brandon Staley, uh, not Brandon Staley, um, what is the Rams head coach's name? Sean McVay. Sean McVay like, ran his his uh, team and, and the way Anthony Lynn did. And it just seems like the, the energy wasn't ever there, first and foremost. It, it, the team did seem a little mellow. Uh, there never seemed to be that sense of urgency with the team either. And I, I really can't talk too much about Anthony Lynn because honestly, I just don't want to. <laughs> but uh, if you look at what Brandon Staley has brought to this team this year, and, and they they came out with a new episode of uh, All In. It's the Chargers. Uh, I guess you can call it their version of Hard Knocks. So one of the first things Brandon Staley did was he he set a meeting with the team's leaders, the the player leaders, and tried to uh, bring them to the table to come out with some sort of offseason program that fits their what the, the players want, what the, the coaches want. And they came together and they decided that they wanted to put health at the forefront of things. So, you know, different things that they did uh, is they they had seven on seven, 11, 11 drills at a walkthrough pace during OTAs. Right. Uh, nothing going full speed except for in individual drills. Uh, even when the training camp started, uh, their their practices were only an hour to 75 minutes long when you th they could have practiced for two hours long. Uh, so they've been – it almost worries me a little bit because I wonder, you know, are the Chargers – is the team going to be um, conditioned enough for this season – uh, but they're definitely the healthiest that they've ever been. The Chargers have no major injuries before the start of week one for the first time that I can remember in years. Uh, but it, it is interesting to see how he's running this team a little bit differently than, than a player like Anthony Lynn, a coach like Anthony Lynn has in the past. Is there a much of a dynamic yet? It's it's only been a short time that the Chargers have been in the city of Los Angeles, but being able to contrast two teams that are in the same city now, what what is the fan dynamic between the Rams and Chargers out on the West Coast? I'm still in San Diego, man. Uh, <laughs> there isn't a whole lot of love for the Chargers down here. There is some. Uh, there is still some animosity back and forth. Uh, right now, I'll be honest, the Rams are winning it. They made it to the Super Bowl in their first year. They lost in the Super Bowl. Uh, they just have a greater fan base. When the Chargers left, that they, they made a lot of people mad in San Diego. Their whole fan base was really hurt, even if they were only moving two hours away, which didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I get it. The Chargers called San Diego home since 1960. Uh, there was a lot of success in that time frame. But ultimately, they, they moved two hours away. And I don't know necessarily know how big of a rival San Diego is to, to Los Angeles. I never viewed it as a rivalry, 
I viewed the, you know, the, the Raiders as a rival, but it's, it's different. I never understood the city being, being a rivalry city. So. Fair enough. DeLuca, you got anything? Oh, I do. I do. Uh, Tyler, let's, let's kind of look at the division as a whole here. Obviously we all know, we all know what the chiefs are capable of. So let's not even discuss them. Do you see anything out of Denver or Las Vegas that worries you as a potential problem for the chargers in terms of, you know, standings overall or like anything like that. Do you see either of them being able to catch the chargers, maybe put them out of second place somehow? The Raiders are going to be terrible. Let's just start that right off the bat. Whoa. They are going to be I don't terrible. think that, that's not all that. Don't tell me that. I just drafted Waller in my fantasy draft. God. All right. They might have a few players that are going to do well, but they're, they, they went from a top five offensive line to a bottom tier with a bunch of nobodies. Colton Miller has had one successful season. Uh, Denzel Good, I think, is it going to be a quality guard, but he's no, no, no way any shape – or form uh, Gabe Jackson. Uh, Richie Incognito is like 37 years old, and he can't stay healthy either. I don't even know who their center is. They had Rodney Hudson, but I don't even know who this new guy is. Uh, they're they're going to be bad. Uh, they're going to be really bad. Alex Leatherwood was drafted much higher than he should have been. Um, that's not a good group, and I, I don't feel like John Gruden has been able to, to build a team ever. He's always been handed great teams when he had success. And they are running that team into the ground. Gus Bradley, we I'm very familiar with Gus Bradley. He was our defensive coordinator for the last, like, five years. Uh, they're going to play a very bland cover three, four three, cover three defense, and he's not going to put his players in the best position to, to succeed. He hasn't done it in a long time. Uh, so I think that the Raiders are going to be terrible. The Broncos so are interesting. Yeah. Go ahead. Actually, yeah, that was actually the next question I was going to ask you. I don't mean to interrupt you there, Tyler. I was actually going to ask you about the Denver Broncos because now we got to see a little bit of clarity in terms of the starting quarterback, and it's Teddy Bridgewater. Will we be seeing a Minnesota Vikings-type Bridgewater, or do we get to see uh, you know one that was kind of you know going downhill in Carolina? I think that's going to be a really, really interesting team this year. For one, I think that they have one of the best defenses on paper in, mm. in the NFL. They wow. have some Still, really huh? good players. Oh, they really do, yeah. He's right. They do. He's They're right. stacked at every single level. Their number three cornerback was probably the best corner in the draft last season, and that's saying a lot. The, char- the, the Chargers are really going to struggle against their defense. Offensively, the Broncos have a lot of young talent especially at the skill position groups. Javante Williams, who they drafted in the second round, uh, many thought that he could have been the best running back in the draft last year. He's definitely a top three type of guy coming out of that backfield, whether you like ETN or Najee Harris. So he is uh, fits that, that same running style as uh, Melvin Gordon does. He's kind of um, that heavy in between the tackles, you know, bruiser who's going to pick up yards, but he's also got enough shiftiness to, to you know, make some guys miss in, in short space. So he's going to be a fun guy to watch. And then their, their wide receivers, I mean, Jerry Judy struggled uh, with pass it, catching passes, but he got open a lot. His ability to create separation is amazing. Cortland Sutton had a really, really good 2019 before he went down to injury last year. Uh, they also have KJ Hamler there, Keyshawn, uh, Keyshawn, was it Keyshawn Johnson? 
I, I forget his name. The other uh, one. Yeah, <laughs> the other one. Uh, he, uh, you know, he started a lot of games in place of Cortland Sutton last year, and then they also have Noah Fant there uh, at tight end too. So they they have a really good core of guys back there. Uh, it'll just be you know whether or not Teddy Bridgewater can do enough to uh, to, I guess, carry them. You know, one of the things about that quarterback position is I don't see Teddy Bridgewater carrying a team. He's yeah. he's he's a trailer. He's not a truck. He can't carry a team, right? He you can load a lot on him and he can hold on to it, but he can't move it himself. So, he's going to be an interesting guy to watch. Uh I I kind of look at him a lot as Tyra Taylor, player that doesn't really turn the ball over a whole lot. Uh does just enough to not make lose you games, but he's not going to win you games either. So, it's a pretty good analogy. Yeah, no, I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah, that was going to be my question: is is it is it coming down to Bridgewater really? And and you answered that perfectly. And I think you're a hundred percent right. Anybody got anything else for him, or shall shall I give him the closer? Yeah, I do have I I do have one more for you, uh, Tyler. I want to look at the Kansas City Chiefs because now you know we're beginning. To I don't see- want to. <laughs> <laughs> we're beginning. That's going to be a tough team. Say we're beginning to see the ramifications of uh of. of uh, Patrick Mahomes becoming the the uh, the richest man in, in in all of football in terms of a player, the largest contract ever given out, the the first half a billion dollar player uh, to ever receive such a contract. Um, and you know now we're like I said we're we're now starting to see some uh, some shifts at the offensive line. Uh, you know obviously the Chiefs are still a team that uh, you can't really take lightly. Um, do you see the Chiefs digressing at? all uh in 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 2021 Uh, it's hard i kind of think that their offensive line got better which is weird to say uh because they already had a good offensive line it's part of the reason why patrick mahomes had so much success early on uh orlando brown joe thuny uh those are going to be your starters over there at left tackle and left guard that's a really good combo right there they're probably you know some of the I'd say they're both top 10 at their position groups. Uh, Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith are two young players who are going to get an opportunity to start early on. And then they also have depth behind those guys in Austin Blythe and Laurent Tavernay. Um, And then Lucas Niang, who they drafted, I want to say two years ago at a TCU young player. They're going to have some young, young guys um, on that right side there. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, maybe, maybe not an upgrade, but definitely better for their future with, with young guys like that, that could step in and play outplay their, their draft position. They've gotten, uh, Lucas Niang got to sit, uh, last year. Uh, yeah, I think he sat out due to COVID. It's an interesting group on the offensive line. It's definitely not going to be, uh, as good. I'm going to retract my statement. Uh, I don't think it's going to be as good as it has been in the past, but I do think it has potential. Uh, they lost uh, a wide receiver, um, Sammy Watkins, yeah. but they've got improved development from McCole Hardiman, Byron Pringle. Uh, they also drafted corner Powell. Uh, those guys are still going to be just great with with Tyreek Hill. And then Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was, you oh, know, yeah. the first running back taken off the board. Offensively, you know, and Patrick Damian Mahomes Williams has enough. Coming back as well. Uh, who's coming back? Damian Williams as well. Damian Williams. Uh, I thought Damian Williams signed with uh, the Bears. Oh, yes. That is my mistake. Yeah. That's yeah. Jarek McKinnon. Yeah. They got Jarek yeah. McKinnon, which is great for their offense. They got another pass catching back out, out there. 
Yeah. So, you know, they, they definitely have some pieces there on offense where Patrick Mahomes, yeah, he's not going to have to do everything on, on his own. He's, he's going to have some talent around him. Yeah. Uh, defensively, they were hit very hard at edge. Uh, you had um, Frank Clark with the gun charge. Uh, they have Alex Okafor, who's got some injuries right now. They're right now they're looking at pre- playing Chris Jones at defensive end, which is interesting uh, because I think he fits best as a defensive tackle. And they also have Jerron Reed and Derek Nandi there. So their their ability at edge rusher is going to be uh, it's going to go down pretty quickly if if uh, they don't have some young guys step up. Uh, they have some good linebackers. They have some young. Uh, a young cornerback, uh, Legarius Sneed, the guy's a baller. He's really, really, really good. He was drafted in the fifth round for them last year. I I don't see anything on their roster that gives me like, you know, this is what you attack outside of edge, right? So I, I think they're going to be really good. I still think that they are the marquee team in the NFL. Yeah. Um, they're just going to be a solid team all the way around and they're built for long-term success. Yeah. Even with that monster contract. Yeah, no, that, and, and absolutely. And, you know, we've, we've discussed plenty of times about the, uh, about the salary cap uh, and really how some, you know, a lot of these massive contracts eventually will, you know, affect the teams such as we discussed last week, uh, Russell Wilson, ever since he got his massive deal, the Seattle Seahawks have not been the same. And, so far for the Kansas City Chiefs, we have not seen that. We still we might see that in the next few years, but who knows? He's still uh, on a rookie contract, I think, this year. So I yeah. think this is the final year's rookie contract. The one thing I do want to say about his uh, his payday is I think it's going to be more of an asset than than people are, are giving it. I think the salary cap's going to go up every single year. His contract is almost kind of level loaded throughout the, the whole thing. So in seven, eight years from now, it's going to look like a deal. Uh, it's going to it's going to look really good uh, because you're looking at right now. I think the average quarterback salary is like thirty five to forty million. Yeah, uh, he's going to make about fifty million a year, and he's going to continue to make that deep five, six, seven, eight years from now. So it's it's definitely going to work in their favor. Really wild stuff. He's right. Yeah. Yeah, and also one final thing too, just before we wrap it up with uh, with Deluca's segment uh, himself in rapid fire, Austin Blythe does not only have some uh, some good experience out in Los Angeles when uh, I believe it was uh, Havens, uh, excuse me, uh, Andrew Whitworth, Whitworth was uh, was hurt last year. He filled in on that left side. So, uh, Deluca, take it away with your uh, with your copyrighted uh, rapid fire to end. Our yeah, we'll call. It, we'll, that's what we'll call it. Sure, Tyler. It's, it's very <laughs> simple. Let's get your take on how the AFC West, how the division standings are going to go, and then let's, and then specifically just the Chargers record, playoffs, yes or no. If yes, what seed and what kind of damage are they going to do? I'm gonna say record ten and eight. What was the other things? Uh, uh. Standings where, yeah, where okay. So I think they're gonna fall second, seven, yes, second to the Chiefs and where to the Chiefs, and then the Broncos will be right there. I think the Broncos are gonna be what is it, 18 games now, so nine seven, and nine, 17, 17, 17, yeah, uh, oh, 17, yeah, so it'll be nine and eight for okay. them, and then uh, the, the Raiders are gonna go like four and 12. Wow, yeah, I they're gonna be bad. I don't, I don't blame them. All right, so second place. Is that good enough for the playoffs for the Chargers? I think it is. Uh, expanded playoffs. Uh, you're going to be ten and eight. 
Uh, AFC is is pretty strong, but at the same time, uh, they you got that extra spot. Do you think they can pull an upset on the road, or? Uh, we'll see. I guess I I don't really know. We'll see. I think the Chargers are always playing on the road, so you know they play pretty well on the road typically. So. Definitely could be a possibility. Ladies and gentlemen, Tyler Lawrence, co-host of Sh- of the Shock Therapy podcast and diehard Chargers fan who currently resides in San Diego about two hours away. So listen, Tyler, have a great drive up to, uh, up to L.A. in the next couple of weeks and uh, enjoy the season. Thank you so much for coming on, and we hope to have you back on in the future. Thanks, fellas. Take it easy. Absolutely. Thanks so much, man. All right, so let's keep on moving here, fellas. We've got a uh, we've got a couple of minutes here to go before we get to uh, to our uh, kudos. Uh, actually, no, we have no, zero. We, we have no time. We let's have no time. Kudos. Let's get to the kudos. Deluca's ready to go home, or actually, he is home. Uh, but I, he's I'm always home, here. Joey. Come on now. Uh, yeah, exactly. So let's get things started with our kudos, Casey Bryant. Let's lead things off here with your kudos. You know. Mike, I hate to go circling back to an issue that was uh, all discussed all the way back at the beginning of the show. But I want to give my kudos to Joe from Ronkonkoma, who's sitting in <laughs> Section 413, nursing his Michelob Ultra. You know, he just got a great deal on bathroom tiling. He's got a great project that he's working on. I, I think he can get you a deal at PVC Pipes down at Home Depot. He's in with the manager there. So, like, yeah, just go in there, ask for Steve. Joe from Ronkonkoma will really hook you up. And, you know, I, I he's, he's just having a grand old time. And uh, if, if, if guys are going to ground out to second base, you know, he can't be held responsible for his actions. You know, he's a passionate man, but that's why we love Joe. He's a hit at all your parties. You'll love him. He also cooks a mean steak. So God bless that Joe from Ronkonka, mate. <laughs> ever present at City Field. Rob DeLuca, take it away with your kudos. Yeah, my kudos are going to be a little comedic as well. They're going to the uh, Bishop Sycamore High School. Uh-huh. And w- 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 this is hilarious. I cannot believe that ESPN dropped the ball like this. This is unbelievable that this happened and they've also bishop sycamore while maybe a fake high school they've played a lot of football games before they're they're terrible i don't even know why they thought they were worth tv they never win they never score more than three points in a game it's it's just hysterical that this kind of blunder could happen to espn and the fact that that there weren't dead giveaways during the broadcast that this school clearly isn't real and that they just played a game on Friday should have been really apparent. I don't know how that they let this happen. And I, I'm here for the chaos. That's what my kudos is to the chaos of it all. It's a beautiful thing. Oh, uh, you hear that? Say so you hear that Mickey mouse, your employee is talking some smack about your, no, I don't mention his name. If you don't mention his name, he can't find me. <laughs> <laughs> Ian Schreier. Can, can I first say, before I get to my kudos that Rob DeLuca, even though I know the, and Casey's kudos, DeLuca's, even though I, I read the article, sounds like something out of the movie accepted with the South Harmon Institute of Technology. And Casey's and Casey's talking about Joe from Ronkonkoma sounds like the old Bud Light Real Men of Genius commercial. <laughs> yes! <laughs> Here's to you, Joe from Ronkonkoma. <laughs> Real Men of Genius! Here's to you, Mr. Uh, I wear be- Mr. Beer Helmet guy, you know? You wore your best cargo sports to sit in the upper deck of City Field, and you're going to let those $30 million ball players with supermodel lives know you paid money for this. 
I always love when we have Casey Bryan on the show. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, always, it's always great. Um, my kudos are, are going to be a little more on the uh, serious and unfortunately, I, I wish I had a, a comedic, I mean, but but I think the Mets gave us all enough comedy for about 40 minutes today in, in addition to Casey's kudos. But I'm going to stick with the Mets here, but on a more uh, positive note, uh, my kudos are going to go to Howie Rose, uh, the boy, the radio voice of the New York Mets, and wish him all the best um, on his surgery. And we, I'm not sure what he's getting surgery for. I know he has not been in the best of health this year, um, and I just really wish him all the best. And that will be uh, calling for a lot more. Put it in the books in uh, in 2022, and I just love his attitude and uh, just wishing him really all the best. He'll be missed um, on 880 for the final month of the year. So yes, my kudos, um, as much as it's not really a kudos, it's more of a, just really just best wishes, uh, to Howie Rose and the rest of the Rose family. Yeah. And my kudos is really the same. It's not really a kudos. It's more of a best wishes, uh, wishes to the residents of new Orleans, as well as the new Orleans saints who might have to start up on the road, uh, wherever it might be. And they might have to call a different, a different building home for week one because of hurricane Ida, uh, that really, and the crazy part was, was that it was 16 years to the day of Hurricane Katrina. That was one of the deadliest and hardest hit uh, uh, hurricanes that has ever hit mainland United States. So, uh, you know, with with everything going on in the world now, uh, and with you know, obviously sports sometimes takes the back seat here. Um, in, in this regard, as long as the New Orleans, just to try and obviously you know put sports and and this together. Uh, thank goodness that the New Orleans Saints were able to get out of the city in time. Uh, and now they are out in Dallas practicing at AT&T Stadium in North Texas. And, uh, you know, that's a really good thing there. And everyone, uh, you know, as of right now, I think there's only been one death. Thank goodness. Uh, you know, obviously we don't want any, but uh, compared to what uh, it could be, uh, thank goodness that everyone out there is remaining as safe as possible. So uh, let's keep on moving forward here, ladies and gentlemen, because tonight concludes our summer series. Monday nights are no longer. On Friday, September 17th, we will be returning at 7 p.m. Eastern time as we get things started with our NHL preview show, which really is absolutely unbelievable. But before then, on, on uh, next Thursday, rather, excuse me, next Thursday will be our NFL full preview show. The time for the uh, for the airing is to be determined, but keep in mind, follow us on social media and especially on Twitter where all of that information will be posted when we've got it. So just to go back here, obviously, our regular programming will come back on September 17th, Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern time right here on the Eastern Observer. It's been a fun summer, but now we are going to be welcoming in fall uh, and as well as the NHL previews, and we'll be right into football, and we obviously will be also uh, previewing the MLB postseason as well. So uh, it's been a fun summer, but obviously we, it's time to call it uh, call to an end here. Uh, let's keep on moving here with paying a couple of bills tomorrow night. The Essential Wrestling Podcast returns with episode number 69. Uh, tomorrow night, August 30th, beginning at 6 p.m. Eastern time, the show is presented to you by ProWrestlingPickem.com. Our guys, Al Carl, Ryan Joy, John DeCani, John Smith, and Gary Meheffy will be bringing you all of the action tomorrow night starting at 6 p.m. Also, ladies and gentlemen, please be sure to subscribe to us. Uh, the Primetime Rundown, our show can also be heard, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Google Play. And if you are not watching this, please be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel by searching 
I-95 Sports Network. Also, ladies and gentlemen, please be sure to start your day off with the Daily Wrestling News Show Monday through Thursday, beginning at 10 a.m. Eastern time with our host, Minutes to Bell Time, Ryan Joy, right here on the Eastern Observer. Guys, a fun episode. Casey Bryant, thank you so much for joining us here tonight, and we hope to have you back soon, sir. Uh, you know, it's 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 always a pleasure to be on here with you boys, uh, regardless of how pointless uh, all this may be uh, and how, how devoid of meaning the world of sports is. It's fun reveling in that with you. And there's no doubt about it. We always appreciate everything that you bring here uh, to the show. But for one final little disclaimer here for Casey Bryan, I'll, I'll speak for him here. Sports are meaningless. Eat at Arby's, ladies and gentlemen. That is the new slogan for Casey Bryan whenever he comes on here. But for all of us here at the Eastern Observer, as well as the Blackjack Media Group, I'm Joey Jorzinka. We'll see you next time.